welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Michael. Stop the rage. Now you know what we are. Now you know what you are. Never grow old, Michael. And you'll never die. But you must feed. I am a scientist. We'll tear your soul apart. Get me back, my head! Don't be afraid. No. Welcome everybody to a brand new month here on the Retro Blood as we have entered the month of May. And by entering the month of May, we have entered the realm of Universal Monsters. Because this month in May, we're going to be talking all about classic movie monsters, Dracula, Werewolf, Frankenstein, The Mummy. We're talking about them all and we're talking about how they were portrayed here in the 80s, brother. First stop, we are cruising along the Santa Cruz Boulevard. We're gonna be checking ourselves in to a sweet hotel. We're gonna have a nice mullet with a little one ear earring gimmick on, on the ear. We're gonna be leather jackets, leather jackets, motorcycles, vampire blood, comic shops. Yes, that's right, we are talking all about the Lost Boys. James Klein, J.A. Allison, what's happening, Allison? How do you feel about this month? How do you feel about Lost Boys? What's happening? What's up, man? Um, you know, I'm super excited about, you know how much I love Universal Monsters. Like, I talk about that all the time. I wanted to, you know, I talked about doing a, a side podcast about Universal Monsters. And it's kind of cool to see how um, the 1980s portrayed those kind of you know, vampire, Frankenstein, Wolfman, mummy kind of archetypes. Um, and I'm, there are probably more, you know, Dracula themed movies that we could have picked, but Lost Boys is a fantastic film. Well, you know, and one of my favorites and we, I, I can't think of a better one to do. Exactly. Because to me, the Lost Boys like combines the whole 80s with a vampire subject because you know we got the 80s we got a lot of rebellion going on we got a lot of punk rockers out there you know we we tinkle we tick uh, sprinkle in a little bit of vampire theme in there and uh I, to me it's just like one of the greatest movies um ever made you know i love everything about this movie i love the rock and roll to it uh the plot is really good the storyline is good the acting's good on it too i like how it was like a new portrayal of vampires you know, showing a lot more younger vampires. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, it still had that, like, um, peer pressure that you get as a young person, you know, wanting to fit in when you move into a new town. It just has all different elements that made it a very fantastic movie. Yeah, that's true. So let me ask you real quick. So you just said it's one of the best movies ever made. So how What's high on that list, how high on that <laughs> list do you think that would rank? Well, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about worldwide, 
You know what I mean? I'm just talking about myself. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. I was going to say, I mean, you know, we got Citizen Kane. We got Vertigo. Yeah. Nah, we got Lost Boys. Lost Boys, the best movie ever made. Yeah. And it's pretty good, though. It's pretty perfect. It is It is a great movie. Well, the thing is, the thing is, you know, I mean, when it comes to the cinema land, I mean, they, it might get overlooked by, you know, the movies you just said, you know, that might have a little more impact in the culture. But for fans like me who love, uh, like, rock and roll, you know, you like the darker vampire side, uh, you're a bit, really big fan of, you know, the 80s style, or like the 80s rebellion stuff. To me, this is like one of the most perfect movies to kind of sum up like the 80s. You know what I mean? The 80s and how like vampires were betrayed a little bit past this in a way. Yeah. Like, I don't think that it's, it's even like, you know, a lot of times when we see movies maybe outside the 80s that did vampire, they might have went to more of a traditional style vampire. We don't talk about Dracula, you know, doing that type of story. But I like The Lost Boys because it's just, it's a whole original concept of having, you know, this, yeah, we had a main vampire, but, you know, we mostly have, like, these rebellious teens who could basically never grow old and, you know, are, are stuck in the whole Santa Cruz and they're, they're just out there partying and causing mayhem. And, you know, we're yeah. just showing a lot of that 80s rebellion teens to it, too. And I right, think I right. think the concept was to make like a uh, a dark version of Peter Pan in a way. Well, yeah, that's why they're called the Lost Boys, right? Because they never grow old. Yes, exactly. Um, but but yeah, I'm wondering though if this is like the first. Um, I know it's not the first um, movie that was made uh, with what would vampires be like in the modern age or the mo- modern times. But is it the first like cool vampire movie? Because you know, yeah. before this, are all vampires evil? Well, I mean, these vampires are evil too, but they're fucking cool though. Yeah, well, yeah, that, you know? that's what I'm saying. Like, so a lot of the movies, you know, obviously in the 70s and maybe even early on the 80s, if you if you have a vampire movie, it's mostly going to be about Dracula. You know, we have right. the Dracula, mm-hmm. and he's the main vampire antagonist, and he can yeah he can turn people. And then maybe we'll have, um, I think they did the Brides of Dracula, you know, whereas Dracula's not necessarily in it, but maybe he's like, you know, influenced, but Dracula's influenced by everybody. Uh, But I think that's what you're saying. Like this one, this movie actually had like the cool, you know, rock and roll, you know, punk rock vampires to it. So that's the, that was the first, it's basically a movie to relate a lot of young rebellious kids with this movie. And added like a vampire theme to it so i kind of i think this movie to me actually made the vampire concept cool and made it mix in with rock and roll so that is the first type this is the first movie to actually do that yeah that's what i was thinking i couldn't think of another one that that was like that at all at that time yeah i'm sure somebody will remind us if there is yeah if there, i mean i doubt it but i mean there there might be maybe a vampire that maybe had some like you know rock and roll or punk to it but not the whole elements of this movie that it had so and like so before we get into the whole history stuff you know a little bit about the lost boys you know on a, on a personal side so um you know the the way i found out about this movie originally was so when I was growing up, I was a big fan of Jackass. All right, so you know, like you know that during that particular era, what was Jackass hot? Probably around like what two thousand two, 
to like 2000 mm. something or maybe 2004. I can't yes, remember. Probably right. It's yeah, probably, probably some sometime around there. So from that, from like an, you know, John Cass, obviously I like that character, Bam. And then of course, Bam, when I watched his stuff, he would always have like, you know, bands from Finland that he liked. You know, obviously he had the him band. He had, I, I found out about Amorphous through him. Um, and it was also the 69 Eyes. And of course, the big song from the 69 Eyes is their, their title track off of, um, of Demons is The Lost Boys. Where they basically, you know, make a whole music video of the Lost Boys. You know, they kind of re- recorrect a lot of the scenes in their music videos, and they, the whole song talks about it. So when I listened to that song, I was like, I like the song, I like the band, and then I researched it, and that that's how I found about this movie. So ever since then, I always like correlate the t- for me personally, I always correlate the two with each other. Even though obviously, you know, the Lost Boy, I mean, the the Sixty Nine Eyes released that album in like probably like 2006 or something and this movie was raised in 1987 so big gap but to me personally you know when i was growing up i didn't i didn't really hear uh too much about the lost boys until i i i researched you know and, and that band and i i always like correlate the two with each other so little little side story for everybody so we all have oh, little that's interesting yeah we all have little side stories about how we first find out about things and that was just mine yeah, that's interesting. I would have thought you would have seen this movie a long time before then, but it kind of fell out of like it's definitely a generational thing. Like it I think it kind of fell out of the zeitgeist for a while. Like there are people for, you know, a long time who are like, What's well, the Lost Boys? I've never heard of this. Um, you know what I mean? Um I think it's more of a like my generation or my age type thing. Like it was a huge movie. Like I saw this movie basically when it was new. Um, I think when it came out, I don't. I didn't think I saw it in a the theater. I think I saw it when it came out on video. So I would have saw it the year or so after it came out, probably. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's just like a thing that I've always liked. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, the first time I seen this movie, I was like instantly hooked. I was like, this is great. This is definitely a classic. This is definitely a great movie. You can pretty much play at any time, you know. And it's really interesting too that this movie actually has sequels. Did you even know that? Did you even know that this fucking movie had sequels? I didn't know that. I I try I try to pretend that that, that they don't exist. I haven't seen them. Yeah, um, and they might be better than I think. Um. Well, no, no. But <laughs> they're, they're definitely not better than I think. So I uh so I got like the DVD. Remember those? Yeah. So I got yeah, the DVD yeah, of the Lost Boys, and it came with the two sequels with it. It came with Lost Boys, The Tribe, and Lost Boys, The Thirst. Yeah. So I watched The Lost Boys, The Tribe, and that movie is really weird. Okay? It's like, it's like basically they're taking the original story from The Lost Boys, but putting it into a modern 2000, like, production which is like, you know, movies made in the 2000s and 2001s, especially like horror movies, eh, a little rough. You know what I mean? A yeah. little, little rough there. The, my favorite scene was actually the beginning of Lost Boys, The Tribe, where we have Tom Savini randomly on a beach getting eaten by surfer uh, vampires. So we might have to, uh, maybe one day on the lights out, I might have to challenge you to do some Lost Boy sequels because yeah, boy, oh boy, in, we have a lot of talk about who did those. Not anytime soon because I'm still beat up from the last lights out. <laughs> That's right, we're still recovering. Check it out, everybody. Lights out dropped uh, yesterday. 
where we did Army of Darkness. So that was a fun Army episode. Check it all out, everybody. Uh, but yeah, well, let's get into some of the history surrounding mm-hmm. the release date of The Lost Boys, which we have a jam-packed uh, freaking wrestling segment. I can't wait to talk about this. And now it's not going to be like a whole different shows. It's just, We're going to focus on one match that happened yep. on the exact date that this movie got released. But before we get into that wrestling segment... I say we talk a little bit about the music that was going on during this time, and also, too, we'll talk a little bit about the Lost Boys soundtrack, because this one actually had a really good soundtrack. So, the Lost Boys were released in movie theaters in the United States on July 31st, 1987. And boy, if you guys have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that your boy, James Klein, loves the 1987 era. Music was great. Movies were great, and the pro wrestling was great. But let's talk a little bit about the music. What do you got for us for this episode, Allison? Um The only thing I really found was uh, for metal was that um, Dio released Dream Evil um, the, at the end of July. So if we were driving to, uh, to a wrestling show or driving around to see this movie in the Trans Am, we might be listening to the new Dio album, which was Dr- Dream Evil at the time. Nice. Dio's not, not Dio's best album, yeah. but Dio's one of the best, uh, in my opinion, one of the best metal bands of all time. Dio's a great singer. Definitely one of the best singers to ever live, um, in my opinion, obviously. But uh, yeah, love, love the Dio. Oh, yeah. Can't beat the Dio, man. He's some good stuff. Good stuff over there. Um, so, you know, a little bit about the, what I found was just like very random. So we'll get into the soundtrack here in a second, but, um, it wasn't in July that this tour happened, but like it just actually happened a month after it was, um, it was in, um, August of, um, it was on a Saturday on the 22nd of August. Cause I, you know, I was trying to like, you know, research a little bit what was happening on July. Like I said, the only thing we could find was the Dio, which Dio is on this tour. But check out this tour. It's called okay. the Monsters of Rock Tour. All right. The headliner, Bon Jovi. All right. Wow. Okay. The support. Check out the supporting act of this tour. This is this is crazy. The supporting act is Dio, which we just talked about. Anthrax. Wasp, Cinderella, and a Rising Up Stars, Metallica. On the '87 Monsters of Rock. Yeah, that's what I see. I right. mean the uh, the uh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think it was '87. I'll look. All right, up. all right. We might we we may have to do a little on the air research here because like see. I was going to mention that I was going to say that okay, I remember the Monsters of Rock from '88. Yeah. Um, which um, had Metallica as well, maybe. Well, let's see. Um, but then, when uh, when did Injustice for All come out? In eighty seven or eighty eight? It came out in eighty eight. Eighty eight, yeah. Eighty eight. So yeah, so they were about to release Injustice for All. So they must have done Monsters of Rock two years in a row. Yeah, Monsters of Rock nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, that was it. It was Bon Jovi, Dio, Metallica, and all of them. Cinderella, Wasp. That's what I got on my list. It was. The tour ended on August 30th, 1987. Wow, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, So they did... They did four shows, and it looks like the whole... Let's see. 
Who played Master of yeah. Arts? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So it looks like the tour I'm talking of was in 1988, but it was it was considered something different because this is basically the Castle Donington show. So Monsters of Rock started out as like a festival in Donington, England, mm-hmm. and it was just one show. And then they took that show on the road in the United States. And the, the tour I remember was right before And Justice for All came out. So it was like a month before. And it was one of those shows that I talk about a lot on the, around this time period that I really wanted to go to, but just couldn't, you know, I, I was just, wasn't my parents wouldn't let me go. Yeah. But that tour was, I had Metallic on it, but it was like Dokken and Van Halen and, um, uh, Scorpions and a few other bands. But anyway, we're in 1987 right now yeah, <laughs> instead yeah. of 1988. So yeah, that would have been, uh, that's kind of weird to think about. Yeah, um, man. cause I mean, it's, I mean, Cinderella makes sense because they were like, kind of discovered by Bon Jovi. Um, but all those other really heavy bands, and then you have Bon Jovi headlining. That just seems really odd to me. Yeah, but that's what the tour, man. It was uh, um, Dio, Metallica, Anthrax, and Wasp. Then Bon Jovi and Cinderella. What a what a mixture. I and football say. stadiums. That yeah. would have been that would have been pretty amazing to see though. Yeah. I wonder if there's any nice. I bet there's I bet there's YouTube footage of that. Yeah, if I that find any YouTube footage, you know what I'll do? I'll post it there on the group page so they all can join some sweet page. games. Yeah, on the group page that anyone can join for free. Yes, that anybody can join for free to get all <laughs> the extras from our shows. And you can do some chatting on there, you know? We always like discussions and stuff, you know? We're trying to make the show very interactive with everybody. Yeah, you can tell us how we're wrong if you're an if you're an ex if you're a Lost yes. Boys expert. Yes, exactly. If you have, if you have your own Lost Boys podcast soul your lost boys only podcast you can uh how's that work how, like, how we're wrong like how's that work like if you just had a podcast solely on one subject like how many episodes can you actually do like, oh a lot <laughs> i guess <laughs> people go yeah. in depth on a lot of things have you ever listened to the star wars minute uh-uh well i mean star wars is the big <laughs> universe though well, okay, that's true. That's yeah, true. I mean, like, if you do like a random movie, like, what if the fuck if we did like Leprechaun? We want no. Well, I guess that's it. That's that. Had a bunch of like, like, what if we just did one movie that had it was just one movie, no sequels or nothing? And how many episodes can I get out of this one movie? You know. Well, I mean, I bet you could you could find a lot of things to talk about if it had enough information and was really in depth. You could probably find a lot to talk about. Like, if you picked like vertigo or a movie like that 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 a lot's been written about you would probably like you could spend a whole episode just talking about the music and then you know you could talk about one scene and you know you would kind of just break you could just break it down um you could find a way to make it work i mean you you couldn't make it last as long as this show will last because you know we there's tons of the 1980s horror movies that we could talk about um but you know you could find a way to make it last for a while yeah, I see what you. But people I do see. it. Yeah, hey, shout out to them. You know us. We we're more we're more of the uh, fly by night people. We we uh we party hard and then we go on to the next town, brother. We're a touring. Exactly. We're yeah. we're the touring act uh, of a horror movie podcast. We just we stop one day in one town and we get on out of there. <laughs> yep. We just tear up the hotel and then move on to the next town. Yep. We grab a couple of the rats. That's right, brother. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the Lost Boys also had a pretty good soundtrack as well, too. Um, of course, you know, the main song, Cry Little Sister, is probably 
the most famous song you know related to this movie and is a actually had a lot, a lot of good um it actually rose a lot in the billboard charts as well too yeah and um you know it was it was it was produced by um gerald mcmahon yeah uh, and um well, go ahead i was gonna say like i've i actually researched this a lot because mm-hmm. i've i've kind of been interested in this soundtrack for a long time because i think it's weird yeah, and I'll talk about why I think the soundtrack is weird in a minute. But um, yeah, that, that Gerald McMahon, or yeah, McMahon, McMahon, um, uh, yeah, he um, <laughs> he um, um, he records now under the name G. Tom Mack. Um, so he's in a like like he's in a band, I guess you would say, called G. Tom Mack, which I, but I think he's basically the only member. It's like a Nine Inch Nails type thing. Yeah, and, and they, uh, they kind of sound they kind of sound like Nine Inch Nails a little bit. Yeah, um, but um, he's still recording and touring and still playing the song live. Yes, because I think it was three years ago at the Texas Frightmare Weekend. I actually saw him perform this song live when he did the little. Oh, really? Yes, they okay. had um, so at the Frightmare Weekend, which is happening right now. Shout out to everybody who's in the Texas Frightmare Weekend. Um, yeah, shout out, shout out to everybody going there. That that's a really good, uh, fun uh, little horror movie convention uh, that they have down in Dallas at the Hyatt Regent Airport Center. Uh, all the great guests over there, and um, on the Saturday night they actually have um, kind of like a open bar slash club or special event that kind of happens after the Frightmare is over. Mm-hmm. And this particular year, um. He was playing there. His band was playing, so we got to hear the you know "Cry Little Sister" song plus a couple other songs that he had too. Actually, I think I got some footage of that. So if I find some of that, maybe I'll post that on the uh, the fan the the Retro Blood group page as well too. So there's actually a funny video on YouTube. Um, it's not really funny because it's kind of annoying actually, but of him. Um, so you know, Corey Feldman went on a musical tour a few years ago, right? No. Okay, well, but I, but you're, better not off surprised. For, you're, you're better off for not knowing this. Um, but he basically was doing some kind of musical tour where he was singing with a band. And he had these two girls that are like, I guess, like dancer slash backup singers with him that he called Angels. And But anyway, there's video footage on YouTube where he has Gerard uh, 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 McMahon, 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 I think is how you pronounce it, um, on his, like guest appearing on his show playing the song mm-hmm. and like he's trying to and he's trying to explain why he wrote this song to this crowd and they just don't want to hear it like they're just like talking over him while talking about how his life was changed by this uh by the song and why he wrote it and blah 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 and Corey's trying to shut them up to listen to what he's saying but eventually they just play the song and it's just kind of weird and awkward um, but he's a great performer, though. But um, I, I wouldn't recommend putting that on the Facebook page. But you yeah. might want to watch it. It's, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. That is interesting. That is very interesting. That's kind of it's kind of weird. Like when crowds are like, I mean, why would you not want to hear why the the guy made the song? You know, but because people are stupid, they talk through shows now. That's a whole big thing that's going around uh, the concert community. Actually, at the moment, is like, why do you talk through shows? Like while bands are playing, why do you have a conversation with some the person standing next to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm yeah, not. It's, it's a it's a it's an epidemic right now. It's really bad. It's yeah, it is kind of weird to me because um, 
you know, all the time when I used to go to shows, and even nowadays when we went to shows, I mean, it's not like I, when the band's playing, I'm like asking you a bunch of shit. I might say one thing or two, like, hey, I like the song, or hey, you know, hey, check it out. You know, hey, look at that funny guy over there, but I'm not having a full conversation with you. Right, right. Now, um, if I didn't really like the band, it's not like I would go up front row and start talking to somebody. You know what I mean? I'll probably right. stay in the back and maybe talk maybe a little bit while the band is playing. You know, exactly. if I didn't really like 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 their songs or stuff, I wouldn't like. It's not like I would like, like kind of like ruin it for anybody else. You know, by hearing me ch- chatter on about a band I don't like. You know, I'd yeah, probably I like, just, yeah, exactly. I just don't get it. I don't understand why people do that. Like, I remember recently I was watching or not watching. I was listening to you know I've been going to a lot of those My Morning Jacket shows on their new tour, and I was listening to re- a recording of the Memphis show, which was the first day of the tour. And like in the third song, like the guy's recording the show and like in the third song, somebody walks up to him like right beside him and he's just like, hey, man, let me run something by you real quick. And I'm like, I'm just thinking like, what? Like we're in the middle of a fucking rock concert. Like You're not going to run anything by me for the next two hours. Like, what are you even? Why would you even occur to you? to ask me some question right now yeah. other than, Hey, excuse me. Can I move by you real quick or something like that? Yeah. But like, he was like going to try to explain some thing to this guy. And you can tell the guy's just like, you know, I'm recording. Shut the fuck up kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but anyway, it, it is a huge, it is a huge problem in the, in the concert industry. Yeah. So shut the fuck up at concerts. Yeah. Everybody shut up and get in that pit brother. Yeah, most of the shows we go to, you can't talk over. I mean, you really can't talk nah. over Cannibal Corpse, but... Yeah, that might be a little tough. <laughs> All right, but so yeah. we got a couple other tracks from this soundtrack. Uh, I thought the most, you know, the most notable one was the one from um, The Doors. People Are Strange. They put it out a bunch during this movie, which... It was great. This is a great song to play with this movie. I liked it, especially at the beginning where they're showing uh, a bunch of different people from Santa Cruz and stuff and playing this song over them. So, yeah. So it's interesting because so all, mo- all the songs on other than the uh, the uh, Cry Little Sister song, all the songs on it are covers of other songs. So the Doors covers by Echo and the Bunny Men, mm-hmm. which would have been a popular band at the time, I guess. But yeah, I was going to ask you like why. Why do you think these songs were picked? Well, people are I just, strange. I think it's weird. Yes, people are. That str- makes sense. That one makes sense. Um, let's see what else we got here. I mean, the only one that was like a this one, "Walk This Way," you know. Uh, yeah, but, and that's not a co- well. Technically, it is a cover, but yeah. we're, we're listening to the Run DMC version. Yeah, movie. yeah. That that's probably just a song for the times that they added into the movie. You know, yeah, so, it was popular at the time. Yeah, so that's the only way I could think of the, that one. Um, some of these other songs I'm not too familiar with, um, but I guess um, the Mummy Call song is an original too. Yes, the uh, Beauty Has Her Way that's an original song, but like, um, but like um, that Jimmy Barnes and NXS song, Good Times, that's an Easy Beats cover. Um, obviously the, the Roger Daltrey song is an Elton John cover. Um, I guess they're not all covers, but a lot of them are. Yeah. Um, I still believe is a cover of a, of another band. It's just, it's just be, it's just re-recorded here. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I think it, I mean, the soundtrack is good. The songs are all good, especially for their time, you know, but I just, I just, I've always thought the soundtrack is really strange. 
Um, the score is really good too. I wish they would release a score of this, like the organ and the orchestration together from, I think it's Thomas Newman maybe. Yes. Um, is, uh, is really good. And I don't know that they've ever released that, that you could buy, but I would, I would buy that now if it would come out. Well, the other thing I could think about, <clears throat> you know, with having like, you know, obviously, you know, you, you can't get the rights all the times to like different songs, uh, the original version. So, you know, obviously we do like a, a band does a cover and you can kind of use those for your rights. But, they, you know, yeah, they probably it's just, cheaper. Yeah, it's cheaper doing that. And then plus, like, you know, they probably wanted some classical songs in here to kind of like kind of morph everything together. You know, like we're having we're having a classical theme, which is vampires. You know, why don't we mix it in with some classical songs, but in a remix version of the 80s and to get it for cheaper. So I think like it was just it was just the whole thing of like making something new, you know, making something new out of something old, I should say. That's true. And 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 retro type stuff was sort of popular in the 80s, too. Like, I mean, maybe not stuff from the 70s because that was just. That's the last decade. That was old, you know. That's just old stuff. But like movies, the like shit, like songs from like the fifties and the sixties were starting to become popular again. Like sixties bands were starting to become popular again. Um, I guess they were being discovered by people like me who were coming up at that time, and uh, you know they were get, they were getting um, they were getting sort of popular, as you could tell, because like around eighty nine or so is when all those bands like the Who started getting back together and touring again. The Rolling Stones fans like that so you can tell this that stuff was coming back so i'm guessing maybe that's why they did um the only other thing i wanted to mention from the soundtrack is um and this is somebody you probably are not familiar with i had to look this guy i looked him up years ago but um that the first song uh, on the soundtrack good times which is recorded by nxs and jimmy barnes um jimmy barnes is one hell of a singer um, he 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 was in this band. I believe they were called Cold Chisel. They're like one. Jimmy Barnes is like um, like he's like the most decorated Australian artist of all time. Um, he's won more awards and more. He's had more hit singles than any Australian artist ever. Hmm. Um, but that guy is that guy can fucking sing. I mean, th- th- I'm not familiar with his other work, but his his voice is incredible. Is he like a natural singer or like a power singer? Uh, a what like a power you know one of those power ballot singers no he's like uh um so from my understanding cold chisel is like a pub rock band so they're like a garage rock band they're just like like acdc mm-hmm. kind of um but he's just like this like he just has this really super powerful like like really loud rock and roll voice i mean he's 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 great Nice. And he's still popular today. He still plays like in stadiums in, in Australia even today. Okay. There you go. Keep like rocking. One of those today. people that's only only popular in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> it's really it's really weird like how the uh. industry, music industry works that way. Yeah, it is weird. But yeah, some good stuff, some good tunes to listen to while we'll be heading to the theater in the Trans Am watching Lost Boys. But let's get into let's get into our one big wrestling history. That happened on this release date, July 31st, 1987. The setting, the Great American Bash Tour. The place, the Orange Bowl. The match, War Games, number two, 1987, brother. Holy shit. What a crazy match. What a crazy tour. 
So, you know, me and Allison were talking on uh, a little bit before we came on the air about the original concept of the Great American Bash. Now, as we know, the Great American Bash today, it's just a one-time pay-per-view. But back in the day, in the 80s, it was actually a, a month-long tour that WCW or World Championship Wrestling did during the 80s. Now, the idea was um, uh, made from Dusty Rhodes to have a month-long tour, and I call it the Great American Bash Tour because it's in July, which we have Independence Day, and it's uh, it's just a really good theme to have and to hit up a bunch of different spots. And we were like kind of seeing how this was uh, broadcast, and apparently it was broadcast through closed circuit. Yeah, closed circuit, which is something that really doesn't exist anymore. But um, closed circuit is kind of an interesting concept, though. Yeah, it is interesting. Is that the one where they do in the movie theaters, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it can be. It can also be in a foot in stadiums like WrestleMania. Um, probably all of them, but WrestleMania three, I know, was closed circuited to another stadium, um, and so was. Um, well, all the Crockett pay per views during this time were not what we call them pay per views now, but well, now we call them premium live events. Yes, premium live events. <laughs> They're not even pay-per-views anymore. Oh. That's even an old, outdated thing now. But, um, but yeah, they were all like they would have. Um, I can remember f- uh, Arn Anderson on his podcast talking about how they would have the Greensboro Coliseum filled, and then they would have the convention center next door also sold out with people watching it on a screen from closed circuit from the Coliseum next door. Um, but yeah, so people would go like a movie theater or something, I guess. And then you would watch it on closed circuit TV, which is, I guess, satellite. I guess it worked through satellite. It had to have worked through satellites. I can't think of any other way. Yeah, sounds about right. You know, they still kind of do that a little bit today. Um, like, uh, there, there is ways you can, for big AEW pay-per-views, and I think WrestleMania, too, they actually do show them in certain movie theaters. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we could watch, we could probably find a theater that has the AEW pay-per-views. Um, so that's like the modern day version of that. Yeah. Um, I suppose, I guess, you know, it streams through, I assume it streams through the internet through there, through, through those. Yeah. I actually used to, um, kind of like going to like bars and watching, um, some wrestling matches over there. It was a, it was a oh, pretty, yeah. pretty cool concept that they were doing for a little while. I'm not sure if they do them around here or, or anymore, but I remember it was probably during the, um, the CM Punk rise and in 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 the, in the e where he you know he he beat john cena at money the bank and then he it basically the whole summer of punk during that era i think around like 2010 2011 or something like that yeah um i remember going out all the time to go into a uh, a bar um i can't remember it's called on top of my head right now uh god i can't remember it's that Whatever. I used to come out to this bar all the time, and they would show all the pay-per-views there. So it's always cool to kind of, like, watch, you know, wrestling with fans that maybe not necessarily in an arena, you know, at the bar and stuff. So it was cool. I liked it, drinking there, having a good time. So it, it's definitely, a, it's definitely a, you know, a fun concept, you know. And then, of course, you know, during this particular time, maybe not, you know, a lot of people had, like, televisions. I actually assume around the 87, they probably did have pretty good televisions, you know. But yeah, maybe most they had TVs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, I, maybe they just didn't have like, I don't know. Maybe they just didn't have like everything was broadcast 
in different ways, I guess. They were still doing the whole closed circuit stuff. Yeah, a lot of people didn't have cable. Like I didn't have cable. Um, like well, my parents didn't have cable out where they lived until I don't know, sometime in the like late nineties probably. Um, cable just wasn't available. So you couldn't watch like um, so when I was growing up, like I couldn't even watch like the main wrestling shows because they were on TBS. So I didn't even have the ability to watch WCW Saturday Night or whatever their 605 show was called. I had to watch the uh, syndicated show to find out everything. Hmm. That's the only way I could I could watch wrestling at all. Um, but yeah, like back then, like ha- people having cable wasn't that probably that common unless you lived in a like a pretty large. If you lived in a city. You had, or a town, you had cable. But if you lived in a rural area, you did not have cable. So you couldn't watch. You couldn't get pay-per-views even if they existed yeah. back then. But so about the match. So this was... Um, so the War Games match is basically two rings and one huge cage. Now, nowadays when they do a War Games match in the E, you know, most of the time it's on NXT. Well, I don't think they brought it to the main roster any at all. It was on NXT. It's always been NXT. Yeah, they had the two rings and they had the cage, but there's no roof on the cage. So, you know, the, the, the original concept of the War Games match was to make it like a brutal, you know, hard, different style steel cage match. But they put a roof on it to make it look like, you know, to, to, to make the illusion like everybody's trapped in there. Like you can't leave. There's no escape. You have to fight to submit or surrender. And so basically it's kind of like how they do it nowadays in wrestling too, just like they did back then. You know, you have a couple factions uh, and a heated rival rivalry against each other. So in this particular match, we have the four horsemen, which this four horsemen group was, um, was the group that had Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and uh, Lex Luger. So we, you know, the original Four Horsemen that we talked about in the 80s sometimes is going to be Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, and Tully Blanchard. But this is when Ole Anderson was kind of like on the outs. And I think I think it went like this. I think Ole Anderson was on the outs. Then Barry Windham took his place. And then after Windham was kind of on the outs again, then they brought in Lex Luger. So we have this, we have, we've had this conversation before because, um, I don't remember. I did not remember Lex Luger being in the Four Horsemen. Do you remember us talking about that? Yes, yes. Okay, and but I thought that you told me that he was in the Four Horsemen before Barry Windham. Hmm, he might have been in before. I can't remember if it was. I have to. Look, we probably have to look it up. But okay. it's either he's before Barry Windham or he's after. So let me see. Or, or directly after, yeah. Because um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, is, I wonder, is Barry Windham on the show? No, he, um, well, he, he might have been on the de- show. He may not have debuted. No, he was. Yeah, he defeated uh, Incubus, who I have no idea who that is. He was the Incubus. NWA. W- the band? Yeah. I guess so. He <laughs> beat all five of them <laughs> in 1987, which he, he probably could. Those guys don't seem very tough, so he probably right. beat all of them. Barry Windham was a badass. But um, he was the NWA Western States Heritage Champion. Oh yeah, the the, the 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 gimmick where they always have like the uh, the, the long belt names. Yes, yes. he was the stereotype. He was the uh, the state champion, the NWA Western States Heritage uh-huh. Champion. Yeah, that was. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if that was necessary. They probably got rid of that pretty soon. Yeah, uh, it was only held by two people, uh, Barry Windham 
um, who won it June 20th, 1987. So it only been around for a month. Um, and then uh, Larry Zavisco won it the next year, and then it was defunct apparently after that. Um, but anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about war games. Yes, so, so, yeah, so you're Lex- right. Lex Luger was in the Four Horsemen before Barry Windham. Cause yeah, so so basically, Oli had to leave the Horseman because he was had, going through a bad neck injury at the time. Yeah, and he was running Georgia, um, which I've always thought was weird. Why he would even come work for Crockett in the ring anyway? Because he was making money booking and in, in Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yeah, um, and I think that like Arn Arn on his podcast did talk about that because he's going through his whole career and he talked about how. He doesn't know. He says he doesn't know why Oli left, but he says that it's. He assumes that it's because, um, uh, he just didn't sign on for you know wrestling every single day, and that's what his job turned into. And he just wanted some time off, and he was probably having neck injuries, like you were saying. Um, he would come back though a little later, which yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about on the show down the road. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He does. And so basically, what happened was with Oli, the storyline was that Oli. Went to go see his son um, and like some sort of like baseball game or something. And then the whole group is like, hey, you're not you're not dedicated to the horseman. You're not all you care about is your snot nosed kid. And that's how they started feuding with Ole. And then eventually Lex Luger kind of took a spot over there. And then after Lex Luger was, you know, in the horseman for a while doing some feuding, then eventually he split from the four horsemen to team with Barry Windham. And that's when Barry Windham turned against him. So, so enjoying the horseman, enjoying yeah. the horseman, yes. So, you know, during this time, this is right basically right just when Lex Luger was in the horseman joining him. And I was, I always liked Lex. I thought Lex, I, I thought putting Lex Luger in the horseman was a good idea. Um, oh, yeah, of course, because it's like evolution, yes, yeah, exactly. Because you got a young hot star who needs some seasoning, and who better yeah. to learn from than Ric Flair, you know, Oli Anton and Tully Blanchard. Yeah, he might not have fit the whole partying lifestyle <laughs> that all three of them had. Because, you know, Luger, he's more dedicated to go working out in the gym. Probably didn't, he probably drank and had, had fun and stuff. But, you know, you know, Ric Flair, that motherfucker, he was, he was basically like a lost boy himself. Fucking <laughs> out all night, party <laughs> all day, fucking, you know what I mean? Just fucking drinking, making, he's, I'm surprised Ric Flair wasn't the, the original vampire in this fucking movie. Exactly. The, you know, like yeah. I think they put him in there to kind of give him like a little boost, kind of like a, like you're saying, like a Randy Orton. You know what I mean? Put him in a hot group and, and kind of raise up him and then get him around some veterans to help him wrestle. You know, I know there was some back and forth between uh, Lex Luger and the Horsemen stuff because you know the thing about the Horsemen was they were such a tight group that they all hang out and party together. You know, it's kind of hard to have a whole group when there's one person who's like opposite to how you do things. You know, right. So, you know, I think that's why, like, you know, eventually over time, you know, when Lex Luger got some seasoning, that's probably when they added in Barry Windham. Because probably Barry Windham, not only was he a great wrestler, he can kind of carry his load with the wrestling, but he's probably a little bit more of their partying type of style, too. So I think the the actual horsemen liked having Barry with them more than they did Luger. But I always liked Luger and the horsemen because I thought it gave him um, a lot better, you know, credibility. So... Um. So, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So we also have J.J. Dillon. You know, he's always been the manager of the Four Horsemen, and he was supposed to be in this War Games match, but he got injured by the War Warriors um, a couple, like a couple weeks or nights before this match. 
So he like a shoot injury or a, or a work injury. I think it was a shoot injury actually. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and because he was supposed because we already had um Paul Ellering in this match, and he was the manager of the Ward Warriors. So I'm pretty sure they wanted to do the whole Paul Ener- Paul Ellering versus JJ Dillon spot in the match, but he couldn't because JJ was injured. So they brought in the War Machine. Yep. Do you know who the War Machine is? Yeah, the War Machine is Ray Trailer, the big boss man. The big boss man, Big Bubba Rogers, brother. Yep. And boy, it was Big Bubba big <laughs> during this time. Holy <laughs> shit. He definitely yeah, he was slim. definitely not in the shape he would be in later on when he went when he worked for the F. No. Well, you know, even when he was uh, Big Bubba, he, he he looked a little better than he did with War Machine. Like, you know, he's always he's he was always a big guy, but this guy, like this War Machine, Big Bubba, you know, he was huge. He was basically a super heavyweight during this time. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, Tony Schiavone I mean, was saying, he's pushing four hundred. I'm sure he's I'm sure he sure he is. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he shit is. Yeah. But he's like, um, he's also wearing a skin tight outfit. Yeah. Which is never, never a good look when you weigh 400 pounds. Well, he's doing the whole, uh, the whole like mask gimmick. <laughs> I like how every time like they, yeah. they need like a new character or something like that. I need like a, just a random, okay, we're going to put a mask on him and we're going to put him in a skin tight outfit. We're just going to give him some random name. We yeah. will call you Red Death. We will call you War Machine. <laughs> And then you'll and then and then you will be completely different from these other people that you also are on the same show, probably. Yes. Well, I mean, that worked for the Hardys, right? When they first started their own like little when they were kids, uh, that they always tell that story, right? About how they would they would have a show with like ten matches on it and they would wrestle against each other's different characters in every single match. Yeah. They would just change masks and just be different. <laughs> they had changed masks or paint or paint and stuff, yeah. <laughs> So on the opposite side, the babyface team. Check out this team. What a great team. We have Dusty Rhodes, baby. We got the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk. We have Nikita Koloff, the Russian sickle, has returned to the retro blood. And we have Paul Ellering. What a great team. What a great team. Now, um, you know, during this, the Road Warriors were fucking just like like star, like these guys were just massive massive beat like you know you're gonna see some crazy shit when the road warriors are on during this particular no, yeah. time so so let's talk a little bit about the match so basically it starts out um we're in an outdoor arena the orange bowl where they play a lot of college football games mm-hmm. and exactly we um we have the starting of the match is actually Arn Anderson versus Dusty Rhodes to start out the match. So I thought this is really interesting because I guess the original concept of how they start off a War Games match was to have two two um competitors in the ring starting it off, and then when they go about I think it was like five minutes, then they flip then they flip the coin, and then the next person comes in. Yes, so I was gonna say we should explain that to people. Like, other than just being two ca- two rings in a big cage, yes, was they were two teams of five back then, and they they would start off with two with one person from each team, and they would fight in both rings for five minutes, and then they would have a coin toss to decide who gets the advantage. Because obviously, when you're putting you know somebody in every two minutes, every two minutes the other team's gonna have an advantage, and they're gonna even back up and then have an advantage. And they would they would uh, flip a coin, 
and whoever won the coin toss got to put somebody back in. And one thing I can tell you for sure is the heels have the best coin toss luck. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. In all time. I don't know. I'm pretty sure the heels have never lost a coin toss in, the, in a War Games match. But they always get the advantage, and then, you know, that's how that goes for two more minutes. Yes. There's probably been, like, maybe one or two that they didn't. But, you know, anything from the 80s all the way up to, like, the 2000s they're doing War Games, they pretty much always got the advantage. Right. Which makes it's sense. All, it looks better, right? Yeah, it makes sense because, yeah. you know, you, you especially in this one because you got Dusty Rhodes, who everybody loved. You know, getting beat up by two heels. But yeah, anyway, so we start off with Arn Anderson and Dusty Rhodes. Yes. So we start off hot. So Dusty spends the whole match in the show. In, in the yeah, he's in there the whole time. And he was busted open too pretty early. Mm-hmm. So the first person we see entered the cage is War Machine. Now we have a two-on-one advantage for the heels. Yep. So the War Machine, we tell, replaced J.J. Dillon. Um, and this is when they basically this is when we get Dusty Rhodes being bleated. He gets busted open because he has a two on one. Um, the next up is Hawk from the Babyface team. He goes in there and runs wild, and like this crowd, like I don't think anybody was sitting down. Like, no, oh, no, this no. shit. Was, people were just watching this whole thing because you know this is a very unique match at the time. Like you know, like nowadays we see cage matches, we see barbed wire steel matches ladder matches we see all kinds of crazy shit you know nowadays you know back then you didn't really get something like this unless this is like a very special one time off show you know exactly so like since it's such new and such special like it just it just it just captured you you know and all what was going on the chaos and the whole you don't know who's coming in next you don't know what's happening you don't you know you're seeing a lot of your favorites getting their ass whipped like it just the the whole concept of the war games was uh, very very fun. I always loved the, this match and how the whole concept is when it, you know you have your favorites, your favorites are getting beaten on, you know who's coming up next. You know it's kind of like a uh, a one upmanship throughout the whole match as well. So so Hawk runs in, he runs wild, slam, he actually slams War Machine, fucking just slams oh, yeah. his ass. Then up yeah, next, I mean, Hawk's, Hawk's strong, <laughs> but that Hawk guy like he was fantastic. Like he does a spot coming up here pretty soon, which is I call the Hawk Pile Driver spot. Where like fucking Arn Anderson just pile drives his ass, he just stands right up. And fucking people always <laughs> pop for that. I thought it was awesome. No selling it, brother. He's not selling it. So then we have Ric Flair. He comes in next, starts chopping people down. And this is when we see the Hawk Pile Driver spot. And then up next for the baby face team, Nikita Koloff, the Russian sickle. He comes in there, fucking chops people down. Fucking does the sickle on fucking um, Arn Anderson. Knocks his ass down. And then uh, he goes after Flair, too, because, you know, the uh, Nikita Koff and Flair were feuding um, at mm-hmm. this time as well. Up next, we have Tully Blanchard. So now we have a four on three. He starts beating everybody up. And then we have Animal comes in next. Starts running wild on everybody. And then Animal actually did the, uh, the same spot that... Uh, <laughs> Um, actually, no, no, it was um, uh, Nikita Koloff did the same spot that um, Hawk did where he got pal driven and he just stands right up. So we had the baby right, faces yeah. all being badasses. Yeah, because uh, Pile Driver would, would uh, ne- never stop Nikita Koloff, right? Yeah, the only, there was like one weird spot. I don't know if you caught this by watching the match. So like Animal gets like totally Blanchard, like he's like holding him and like, like it was just so weird. Like it was kind of like a wheelbarrow position. 
and he fucking wheelbarrows them up in the cage and then down. Hits the cage and then down. Up in the cage and then down. <laughs> it looks so goofy, but then it's like, and then you hear Tony Schiavone, oh, fuck. I was like, oh, Tully, uh, Tully Branch is busted up now, open now. I was like, what the hell? It's like some sort of weird wheelbarrow sex move that he did on him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And one thing that we could talk about right, right now about that thing about the pile driver spot that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So one thing that um, listeners of Jim Cornette's podcast will know is that he always complains about really big moves, like in wrestling today, like really, really big moves. Um, people will kick out of them and they shouldn't and they would never have kicked out of them before. Um, you know, he like he talks about like Matt Jackson of the Young Bucks. Matt Jackson will kick out of anything. Um, and then he'll complain about how like, you know, you'll, he'll put somebody in a move that that should normally kill him and that would, you know, would kill him in real life, but you know, that, but he'll kick out of it and then he'll win with like a roll up or something. Um, but they did that then too. I mean, they do it twice in this match. I mean, you know, I mean, if you really put somebody in a a pile driver, there's no way, not only are they not going to pop back up, I mean, they may not pop back up ever again. I mean, that's Steve Austin, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. Like, I mean, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, that spot, you know, the, they they do that in wrestling, you know. Like, some of the old-timers right. like, oh, you got to sell this shit. But then sometimes, you know, when you got a badass baby face or something like that, you do a, a devastating move to them, they pop it up, then you know, like, there's some problems. You know, Ultimate Warrior used to do it all the time. You would hit him at everything. He just no-sold nothing at all. Right. So... That's not that, that's nothing new in wrestling. People are not I selling agree. big news, big big yeah, moves. That's I agree. not. New. It's always happened. That's yes. just that's just something Jim's complaining about. That's not that that has always been there. Exactly. So now Lex Luger is the next participant in the War Games, and he is our United States champion. So now we have a five on four advantage for the heels, mm, and he yes. starts running wild. I don't think he was doing the um, torture rack. During this particular, I think his finishing move was probably just that running forearm that he had. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I was thinking a clothesline, but it could be a running forearm, yeah, which is basically the same thing. Yeah. Um, one thing that we didn't mention is so technically the match hasn't started yet. Yes, no, it doesn't start the until match all doesn't five. technically start until everybody's in there. Yes, and then it becomes the match of match beyond. So it didn't we, last about two minutes usually, but yeah, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Shortest cage match in history, technically. <laughs> <laughs> so now Paul Ettering is the last man to be entered into the War Games, and he has brought a metal bracelet. A metal spike bracelet. All right, and he starts using it on everybody. And then once he comes in, now we hear, sometimes we hear like a horn, but now we just hear like a bell or something, saying that mm-hmm. the match beyond has now began. It's You can only win by surrender or submit. And then, uh, uh, then uh, we start seeing a lot of that spike uh, wristband being like uh, applied to a bunch of people, and then eventually, Animal uses that spiked wristband, shoves it in the War Machine's face a couple times, and eventually, War Machine gives up, and that's the end of our War Games match. We are we have the babyface team wins it all. Yeah, and by uh, by eventually, it's two and a half minutes later. I yes. timed it. Yeah. <laughs> It's like <laughs> so. So the whole the whole thing is thirty minutes long, but the actual match lasts two and a half minutes. Yeah, buddy. Hey, they're worn out before they got in there. That's how it goes. Well, yeah. I mean, Dusty was re- probably ready to go at that point. Yeah, after like, being in there for thirty minutes. Like, I'm spent, brother. Get me out of here. 
So yeah, that's a what I mean. That just think about that. Like, what a great weekend so far. You know, we have July thirty first, nineteen eighty seven. We have a badass movie that came out. Which, to be honest with you, during the trailers and everything, I know I would have been pumped for it. Um, you know, to see it in movie theaters, and you know, freaking this match had a great build to it. Plus, it's part of this big whole tour. So you got two great events to happen on the same night. Winner in my book so far. Oh yeah. Yeah, if we'd taken the trans down to Miami, Florida, we could have gone to see uh, the Great American Bash and then maybe caught a late showing of Lost Boys right afterwards. Yep. Sounds good. We, we would have been back to my old stop, stopping grounds. All right. Oh, yeah. back, back so, South Florida. Yeah, buddy. So let's get into it, everybody. Let's get into some of the um, behind-the-scenes stuff of Lost Boys before we get into the actual review. I like to talk a little bit about behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, kind of see what the movie was all about during this particular time. Um, so some notes, you know, we were talking earlier about, like, a couple of the inspiration from this film. And, of course, we talked about the whole Peter Pan thing with when it comes to, like, the Lost Boys. That's basically where they got the title from. Um, it's also interesting, you know, this film, like, was, like, a huge success at the box office. Oh yeah. So it grossed over thirty-two million against a production budget of eight point five million. So you know, and it's still pretty popular. I would say this this is definitely a cult film nowadays too. You know, it even has a couple uh, comic book series um, to it as well. So, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's see. So a couple of the things I thought was pretty interesting was. This film was originally set to be directed by Richard Dorn, and the screenplay written by um, Janice Fisher and, and uh, James Jamis. And was it was basically molded on uh, uh, Donor's recent hit, The Goonies. All right? So this film, uh, it, I guess they were trying to get the guy who made The Goonies to make this film. And he was trying to make it like in the same... Vain, just having juvenile vampires. All right? So okay. here, here's what the original concept of the film was going to be for, for if Richard made it. It says, this film was to be envisioned as a more of a juvenile vampire adventure with 13 or 14-year-old vampires. While the Frog Brothers were ch- chubby 8-year-old Cub Scouts. And the character of Star was a young boy. Uh, and then when uh, Donald, he committed to other projects, this is when Joel uh, Schumacher was approached to direct the film. Donald Donner eventually received credit as an executive producer. His, his in, in, um, insights on making the film sexier and more adult, bringing on screenwriter Jeffrey Bohm to reboot the script and raise the ages of the characters. So originally this film was going to be a more... Um, like a more darker Goonies, in a way. But the 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 director Schumacher, he made it more to this era, you know, more adult kids, more sexier, more grittier. So good thing that happened because I don't know if that uh another like I mean I I could see that kind of working, but it'd be more like a kids movie, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's what he's talking about. It yeah. would have been more like a kids movie, like kind of like the Goonies was. Um, that's really weird to think about, though, from, you know, going from what we know as the final movie, that it was originally going to be an adventure about 
teenage vampires. It was, so it was going to be completely different. So the, the vampires were going to be the good guys, kind of. I well, guess. no, I think it was so the fourteen-year-old vampires were going to be the villains, and then the chubby no. eight-year-old Cub Scouts—they were going to be the heroes. They would be the baby faces. <laughs> huh? Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So maybe, and it could have been like maybe one of the eight-year-old kids. Maybe he was. Um, maybe he fell in love with one of the fourteen-year-old vampires or something. Maybe it'd have been like the same concept, just younger people, <laughs> which have been really weird. Yeah. That some tells me that wasn't the original. That wasn't going to happen. But yeah, oh. maybe. Uh, but uh, but yeah. So uh, but yeah. Um, I like our version better. The one we got. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So um, you know, and a couple. Obviously, there's a lot of this film was filmed all the way in Santa Clara or Santa Cruz. And, Santa Cruz. Yes. Yeah. And then you know it was um, also to a couple of the um, they had the big um, Santa Cruz boardwalk. You know, and they also had. So I thought something was interesting about the filming of this was apparently this movie was the biggest production to come out of Santa Cruz Cr- Cruz ever, and uh, not not I think it got surpassed later on, but at the time this was like one of the biggest productions because all the people that we saw on the streets and in the crowd they actually ha- they actually had them all for extras like they used all these people that we see in the crowds and the street. I thought they were just filming random people. But apparently they used all these people in this film as extras um, that are on the streets mm-hmm. and at the carnival and all the circus and everything. So very cool. And it was, of course, it was this film was produced by Warner Brothers. And um, uh, it's really interesting. You know, they actually used the, the grandpa's house. It was actually, um, <laughs> it was of the Pognonip Clubhouse on stage 15, which that's what they used for his uh, house, the, the grandpa's house. So. Um, and then they were talking about the um, the location that we had for the the vampire lair, of where it yeah. was some sort of like Victorian hotel that actually got uh, destroyed during I think it was like the 1906 um, uh, earthquake that happened in Santa Cruz, where the place the hotel got demolished and sunk basically in to the to the ground. So they used that as well. So a lot of cool, like little little stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think can... you can visit a lot of that now. Um, I think you can actually go to that cave now if tide if the tide's low enough. Um, like where they where they filmed the outside of the vampire cave. Yeah. Um, and then the boardwalk, obviously, in Santa Cruz is still there. Oh yeah, partying time. Well, that's a little bit of back to stuff. You know, little, little extra stuff. You know. Uh, how they, you know, got this movie made and everything. So, but uh, let's get into it, everybody. Let's get in to The Lost Boys. Michael and Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything unusual? about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. So where are you? The fine nun? I'm your brother, Sammy. Help me! Stay back! Stay back! What's happening to me, Star? Get yourself a good, sharp stink. 
drive it right through his heart. You're a vampire, Michael. My own brother, a damn blood-sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till Mom finds out, buddy. When a vampire buys it, it's never a pretty sight. Michael, they're coming! Oh, shit! <laughs> Alright everybody, so we have arrived. We have arrived to Santa Cruz for the Lost Boys. And you know what I noticed something in this movie right away? And so, you know, back in the day, and for a long, long period of time, like when we had to do like aerial shots, you know, it's okay. probably just some dude in a helicopter with a camera just taking all the stuff. You know what I mean? Kinda like how they would do the uh the newscast if they're seeing like a car being chased. You know what I mean? Yes. And it's just crazy to think like how stuff changes so rapidly. You know what I mean? Like nowadays, you just get a fucking drone, put that shit on the Go GoPro, fucking get it up in the air, and you can make just a shot just as good as this, or maybe even better for the quality. Maybe even better because it would be smoother. And so for yeah, yeah. so these days for five hundred dollars, you yeah. can make a you can make this this shot. Whereas before, they would have to rent a helicopter, which had to be crazy expensive. Yeah, exactly. And then um, they, they did a shit ton of aerial shots in this movie, too. I mean, if I was a guy, I would be like, fuck it, man. Can we just make this one day? <laughs> they did I, so yeah, I was, well, they, I bet they shot all that stuff in one day. Yeah, the aerial well, shots. Well, they had to do like maybe two days because they had to do some night shots, too. Well, but it's it just crazy that, you know, when you're watching it, it's just the, the, the angle of the camera, how it's shaky and how like you could definitely tell it's on a helicopter. You know, it just it just it's, it's pretty interesting how things change. So. so are you talking about like the shots over the ocean and the ones that are in the sky or the ones over the boardwalk? Well, uh, the ones over the well, all of them. So the ones are the boardwalk and okay. then the one that they were following the car with when um, that's definitely a helicopter. You can yeah. tell. So. Um, cause I was going to ask you like how you think they did the shots over the ocean. Um, because they seem pretty smooth for a helicopter. Yeah. But maybe they had some kind of stabilization system they could put on it to where it wouldn't shake. That's the only thing I can um, think of. The hel- a helicopter is pretty shaky if you've ever ridden in one. It's not like the smoothest ride in the world usually. Yeah. Um, but, um, but the, the ones where they're flying o- really quickly over the ocean, um, looks so smooth and so cool i mean it could have been sped up too maybe like you know they could have like filmed it in a slower at a slower speed and then just sped it up to make it look faster for the movie and then like the scenes where they're they're shooting the aerial shots over the clouds um i'm not sure how they did that that must have been from an airplane well i I think think um there's a lot of scenes they actually used on this movie they used a lot of blue screen to fill in some of like the flying gaps and stuff like that Okay. So, and narratively, so it, it, the over the over the head scenes like the the um flying scenes is that supposed to be the uh, vampires flying? Is that yeah. what that's supposed to be? That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, uh, like you know when they're they're attacking people. Well, yeah, but even when they're not, like when it's just showing like at the very very beginning, the very first scene we is is them is the is something traveling over the ocean. Yeah. And I mean, I'm assuming that's supposed to be the vampires flying. Yes. It could be that, or it could be that spirit that came, uh, from the, uh, evil dead. <laughs> right. It could be that too. Could be that too. All right. So we actually had the vamp. I, I, so there's a whole group of vampires, you know, and they're all like, you know, eighties punk rock, you know, leather jackets, 
mullets, wavy hair. Everybody looks like they're in uh, fucking, um, what's it, Black Roses. You know what I mean? We're just ready to party. <laughs> All right, everybody? Yeah. These fucking guys look awesome. All of them look cool. Yeah. The yeah, only one, the, cool. the one that always um, st- sticks out to me, though, is the uh, the guy who played Marco, you know, Alex Winter. He was that dude from fucking Bill and Ted. I'm like, I was about to say, he, yeah, he was, he was in Bill and he was either Bill or Ted. I can't remember which one, but uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was Bill. Wasn't Ted? I can't remember either because Ted, it was, you know, was the, um, um, oh, fuck. Well, yeah, one of them, he's the one that's not Keanu Reeves. Yeah, obviously. Keanu like, Reeves, I, yeah. I can't remember if he's Bill or Ted. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's pretty cool. Like that yeah. guy's a really good actor. And yeah. And he's um, in a lot of stuff. Like he does a lot of like horror movie documentaries. I think he's even in the Gawar documentary. Like he is, he, he, he's a pretty cool guy. Like he's pretty cool. Like, um, you know, pretty good, like uh, underrated actor, I'd say. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, and then of course we have the, the main vampire guy, David, uh, by Keith Sutherland. Keith Sutherland. Yep. Who is huge. I guess his biggest role is in that, that 24 show or something like that. I never seen that show. Oh, maybe. I mean, that's probably what most people know him for now. But yeah, no. Kiefer Sutherland is a, he's always been one of my favorite actors. He's so, he's just so effortless. Like he's just, he's just, he just exudes this coolness. Yeah. And he was um, great in this movie. I, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Like he's probably like, probably, he's probably the guy I would say that probably made the movie. Um, I, you know, he's probably like the, you know, he's probably like the top star in this movie. Yes, for sure. For you know, sure. all the merchandise usually has him in there. Uh, he had the best lines. He had like the the smoothest uh, acting, and just the the look was different from everybody. So you could definitely tell he was the the main attraction from this. So the first thing we see is we see this whole gang, and they're on a merry-go-round, and they're picking up chicks mm-hmm. on the merry-go-round. Allison, have you ever picked up women on the merry-go-round? Uh, no, no, I haven't been on a mirror go round, um, in my adult life or my teenage life at all, probably, but maybe I should start. Cause apparently that works. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Cause they, they were just walking. First of all, they're just walking on this merry go round. fine. They weren't getting, uh, uh, emotion sickness or nothing. All right. Well, they are vampires. That's true. And he's like grabbing this one guy's girl. And then the guy's just trying to fight him. And then like, then, then this is when we had the cop shows up and he fucking gets the guys like i thought i told you guys to get off this boardwalk and then all i can notice is we see one guy like who's like looking at him and this guy had the biggest one earring in his ear (laughs) (laughs) so like that's that's the kind of a new thing that's coming back to you know we always have like styles that come back and this movie was full of the of the uh of the uh one ear they didn't uh what's it billy idol didn't he make that the the one earring Thing. Uh, I know that he had one. I don't know if he's the one that started that, but but so this guy had, had a fucking uh, what do you call those things? The wish? No, the the uh, the uh, you keep the spirits out. Um, when, a dream catcher. Yeah, dream catcher. He had a fucking ear yeah. dream catcher in his fucking ear, and all I could think of is like you know you know who does that nowadays is uh, Doc Gallows. He has that big fucking. They always you know him and the Young Bucks. They always had the really big earrings out of the one ear. And this guy, yeah, was, yeah. this guy, they must have watched this movie before they fucking did all that. But I was, I was yeah. just, this caught my eye about the one, the one earring gimmick. And this giant dream catcher in this guy's ear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, fuck, I'll do it. Fuck it. All right. <laughs> so, 
Um, so then uh, this is eventually the, the David's like, okay, yeah, we'll leave and stuff. And then they eventually attack the cop. So we got the cop mm-hmm. out there. And this is when we see them flying. And he, he, the cop like tries to open his door and he just grabs the door off and he's gone. And this is when we get the whole intro with people are strange. Um, we see the family, Michael, Sam, and um, uh, Lucy, the mom. They're driving into Santa Clara. And they see a sign that says Santa Clara. Then they look behind it. It says Murder Capital. It says the Murder Capital. Of the world. Of right the now. world, yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's like, they're kind of like, okay, this is weird. Then we see some more people, are strange stuff. And then eventually they arrive and like, they're just walking around town in the fair and stuff. And um, I think one of my funny, one of the funny lines is Michael, he goes up to the guy, he's like, you got any work around here? The guy's like, nothing legal. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like fucking yes. like there's like a thousand like fairest things here you can get a job no problem and then i I like there's like one uh <laughs> like check out this creative name for your restaurant we have a restaurant called fun food shack <laughs> i don't know why i thought that was funny fun, the fun food shack man yeah, yeah. the fun yeah we're gonna so have we fun, the fun food shack yeah <laughs> So finally, then when they drive through city and stuff, the family arrives at the house, and this house looked like it was basically was in Asheville. Okay, did you notice that? Like it just looked like a house that would be in like North Carolina, some hidden off the wall mm. house, bears and yeah, shit like a, like a, like an out in the country version. Yeah. yeah, like not not in the city, but yeah, I thought this house was fucking cool. It was cool though. The grandpa was cool too. So the grandpa he's like laying down on the fucking step. Everybody thought he was dead, and he's just fooling everybody. All right, and apparently this this family yeah. has arrived from Phoenix, so all the way from Phoenix, Arizona, all the way down to Santa Cruz, and the reason they left is because the mom divorced her husband. We never like found out why. Like the only reason she gave why she divorced her husband because he didn't like closet monsters, but uh, we didn't really get a real reason why she divorced the husband. But no, yeah, we well except for the closet monster thing. Yes, we did we did get that as a as a reason. But did you say all the way down? On to Santa Cruz. Well, is it up? Or is yeah. it to the side? Yeah. So Santa Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> no, so Santa Cruz is in like way far northern California and Arizona is like kind of near the bottom near Mexico. Yeah, they went all the way up. Yeah, so they went all the way up from from Phoenix. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Very good. Anyway, down. I just want to make that clear. Down, up to the side. Who cares? I want to understand, dude. They they fucking they drove. Doesn't matter. In, They're in Santa Cruz. Or they Santa drove Clara now. They drove in their Trans Am. They got there. <laughs> so the mm. kids are looking around the house. All right, the one young kid, Sam, he wants a TV to watch MTV, so we know what time period we're in. Uh, and they also kept saying <laughs> yeah, the house. Kidding. Yeah, <laughs> they also said the house uh, looks like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because the grandpa had a bunch of taxidermy everywhere. Hmm. Because that's his hobby. Yes. And then the grandpa comes over and he wants to talk to these kids very serious. He's like, I need to talk to you guys, kids, about some house rules. And he goes over to the fucking fridge. This is my shelf. This is where I keep my soda pop and my cookies. Don't touch them. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, this is when the kid's like, hey, is this like really like the murder capital of the world? A uh, grandpa. And then the grandpa was like, well, well, basically, if the, let's just say if the corpse riz, this place would be overpopulated. <laughs> <laughs> And then he's like, oh, then that he, could be true of any city, really. Yeah. And then, like, he was going on saying, like, okay, guys, another rule is every Wednesday, the TV guy comes in. All right. 
And they're like, I oh, yeah, this. that means you got a TV. No, I don't have a TV. I just read the TV guide. Why do I need a TV if I have a TV guide? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he has that elaborate story about the sticker that's on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's when all he, he says. Does. Like, when it comes in, he's like, sometimes the, st- the, corner, the corner of the sticker is going to be peeled up, and <laughs> you're going to be uh, sticking up, and you're going to be tempted to pull it off, but don't because you're just going to end up rip, uh, ripping the cover. Yeah, exactly. Remember those TV guides? That was a big thing back in the day. Like I remember the, the the first. That's how you knew what was on. Yes, and the first, my first, um, uh, when I found out what TV guides were, was when they had the the, the I think it was Austin, The Rock, and Sable, were on the TV guide, and I had to have all three because I was a big wrestling collector, and so I got all three, and mm. I was reading through the TV guide. I was like, okay, this is cool and everything, but I never ever ever since then I never like collected TV guide. I just kind of just remembered what times shit came on. Well, yeah, I don't think most people collected TV Guide, but like that was like when I was a kid, that was how you knew what was coming on TV. Like you had a book that told you. Yeah. So now we are back at the fair, and this fucking muscle dude is oily up and he's fucking singing his art out. You know who this guy is, right? Tim Capilello. He went on tour with, with uh, yeah. Tina Turner. Freaking just going crazy. Yeah. yeah. So his gimmick was... Singing his only hit song. Yes. So this yeah. guy's gimmick was, for people that don't know him, he was a huge muscle-up oil dude, and he would play all the time with his shirt off, the saxophone, and he would basically sing and hump while he's, t- while he's doing this whole thing, singing these love songs and hump in the air. So that was, his, that was his gimmick. And he was doing the gimmick on this movie. But he was actually, that's actually what, yes. what his real gimmick was. Like, he would, he would go on tour, be all muscled and oiled up with a saxophone and, like, hump in the air and singing. So, like, he's he's living up his gimmick. But uh. Yeah, but that makes sense, though, because, I mean, you know, horn players definitely have the, you know, stereotype of just being buttoned down and, like, really boring. Yeah. So this guy would have been a really interesting saxophone player to have on tour you know, for Tina Turner and I'm sure many other bands that he probably toured with um, as a session players. I thought so, it was I mean, pretty good. I mean, it, it makes it makes sense. I mean, yeah, and it, I, I think it's weird that they picked this guy for this scene. Like maybe he's it's playing during the, the time. Maybe so. Like he's supposed to be playing this concert on the boardwalk, um, and this is like this is the only song I know from this guy. Yeah, like I can't even think of another song that he has. Yeah. Hey, one hit wonder, man. That's all you need. So now we have exactly. Michael and his brother Sam. They see, well, Michael sees, and he's creeping on this girl. Like this, you know, the, you know, when you see you're in a crowd, you're having a good time, you're having a, you, you know, you get all hot. And, let me, let me, let me do this scenario for everybody. Okay, we're at a fair. We're young, you know, young, young middle teen or teen. How old do you think everybody was? Maybe at least eighteen, right? I would say they're at least eighteen, twenty. Mm-hmm. No, I think that Michael is out of high school. Yeah. Um, he's probably 18 or 19. Yeah. I think Sam now. is about 14 or 15. Yeah. Um, or maybe 13, 13, 14, 15 around that era. I think uh, Star, who's the girl we're talking about, I think she's probably 16 or 17. I probably and go I with think 17. her character is. I, I think her character, I think she's like pretty young. 
Yeah. I think she's supposed to be, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking She's supposed to be portrayed as, as fairly young, but not a child, though. Yeah. Kind of like the, um, uh, you know. like, kind of like the 18, 19 range for everybody. So, yeah. like, our boy Michael, you know, he's out there. He's getting all hot because we got this sweaty dude in oil singing a love song. And he stares right at Star. Like, he cannot keep his eyes off her. Oh, right? well, yeah. He is, he is entranced by her beauty. And he wants to go follow her all the way around. And um, and then, you know, Sam is just like, you know, you know why are you going to be leaving me for this girl and stuff? He's like, hey, they, they eventually split up. Like, he's like, hey, go do your thing. I'm going to go find this girl. Mm-hmm. All right. And why do we see the guy, like, you know, the muscle-up dude, like, it just had a live band behind him. So I guess that's their name. Their name is Live Band. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's just an advertisement for like the boardwalk show. Okay. It just says live band on the boardwalk for a lot. I just thought, okay, that's just your name. His name is live band. Right? Live band. So now we have the mother, Lucy, she's walking on the boardwalk by herself. And she, she eventually sees, um, the sign for the missing cop that we saw in the, the earlier parts of the movie. And then she eventually sees like this kid who's like a lost kid and then we see a, a, the store owner, which we find out his name would be Max. And then while um, while the mom brings in the, the lost kid to the store, eventually the, the lost kid's mom finds him, goes away. And then Max and uh, Lucy start talking a little bit. And while they're talking, the vamp gang, they just like fucking walk in like they own the place. They hit on the cashier and eventually Max tells them to hit rocks. They told you not to come in here anymore. And this is when we get... Max and Lucy kind of talking a little bit, and eventually um, they're, they're talking about the kids and and then the, the mom was like this. She was like, she's like, yeah, you know, you know, we used to be young like that. You know, they just they just dress better nowadays. And I was just <laughs> thinking like that line. I was like, you know, would my generation say that, or would would my my parents' generation say that about my generation? I doubt it. So. <laughs> no, I think that's really weird. Well, yeah. she, you, I mean, you could kind of get the idea that uh, that she's she's really open minded, and she's yeah. like, you know, she really wants to relate to her kids. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, yeah, right. I mean, like, I mean, wh- like, do I think that any anybody from Generation Z dresses well today? No, I think they all they they don't. I would not say that. Well, we're two angry and, old men, John. Right. I know we're just we're just we're just uh, we're just angry old. Fuck men these at this kids point. and their inch nine nails or whatever the fucking dumb band's called. All right, all right, that's not metal, brother. I'll show you some real metal. All right, and I then, mean, even that's a band a band from our generation. Like, I mean, I can't even think of a band that kids listen to these days. Yeah, I have um, no idea. I just like well, I don't know. Anyway, so basically, she needs a job, and then they kind of like end on that. So we can kind of see that they're kind of like flirting a little bit. So Michael is still chasing the girl. All right. And then this is when we have Sam. He, he goes into the comic shop. All right. And I was watching this. Like, oh, boy, this must be Allison's favorite scene. Because, yeah, we have to talk about this. Yes, we have to talk about this because I actually wrote down all the comics they were talking about. So basically, Sam's in the comic book shop. He's looking around. We eventually see uh, a young Corey Feldman. And... Um, the uh, the other guy, um, uh, Jameson New- Newlander, they're Jameson all, Newlander. Yes, they're yes. both the Froggy Clan. We have Edgar, which is Corey Feldman. We have Alan, who is Jameson. All right, 
and they are like, I guess, like, do they work at the comic book shop or they just like show up? No, they they work. I assume they work. Well, there. how do they take a phone call from there then? What do you mean? Oh, so they did work there. No, yeah, they. I assume they work there. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So they're kind of like staring down the Sam kid. All right, and then eventually they start going down the list of some like comics. So we have. So they said, like, hey, man, this ain't no uh, fucking uh, candy store or anything. And, and Sam's like, no, I know. I'm looking for Batman number 14. Yes. Tell us a little bit about Batman number 14. Is that like a rare issue or something? Well, yeah. I mean, it, any comic from that era is rare. I mean, Batman 14 came out in 1942. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a golden, what they call a golden age comic. So it's. It would be extremely valuable, very valuable now, and and really valuable then too. Um, I tried to look up to see how much a Batman fourteen was worth in 1987, but there's not really any records for that. Um, it would have been really expensive, but it's not as rare as they're making it sound. Like he's talking about how how there's five in existence. He's like, that's a serious book, man. There's only five of those in existence. He's like, four actually, and I'm all or. I'm, or, no, he says there are only four in existence. He's like five, actually, and I'm always looking for the other four. Yeah. Um. So, like, there's no way a 15-year-old kid, especially with a, a divorced mother who's taking a job at a video store, would be able to afford that comic book. There is no way he owned that. Yeah. Um. But, you know, I guess it's a, it's a you know. Maybe just to it's, see it. <laughs> it it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a story, right? It's a movie. So, um, but he... Um, you know, just another annoying aspect of the Sam character. I think Sam is a very annoying character. Like, I just, like, I don't know. Like, I like all the other characters in the movie, but I feel like he's really obnoxious. And I don't yeah. know if it's just because I'm older now and he's just an obnoxious kid, but he's just kind of obnoxious. Yeah, um, I can see that a little bit. Especially during this part of the movie. So he's um, so also yeah, talking Batman, about... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, Batman 14 is expensive comic book, but it's not... There's nothing special about it, um, other than it's old. What about Superman seventy seven? Um, I didn't actually look these up. Um, Superman seventy seven would have also been a golden age comic. Um, one thing that annoys me is that the comics that they have on the shelf were current comic books from that time. So in nineteen eighty six, um, this could be a very long conversation, but I'll make it very short. Uh, DC Comics basically revamped everything. So they basically started over from the beginning again um, with like a new number one Superman comic and kind of started everything over again. Um, and the, and John Byrne, who was a very, is a fa very famous writer and comic artist, was writing and drawing Superman. And the comics that you're seeing on the shelves are the current issues from John Byrne but he's talking about them as if they're very, very old comics. So he's like saying, you can't have the number 77 before the number, whatever, whatever, because of, I think he's talking about Lori Lamaris or something like that. But, but he's using like, this scene's always annoyed me because they didn't even use old comics. They just use current comics from today. Hmm. And any comic fan would, would know that it's just, it's kind of weird that they would choose to do that. It's almost like they just didn't care. Well, you know what I would say? I would tell all these Whoa. comic people, oh, yeah, where are you from, Krypton? <laughs> Which is what we get from Edgar Frog. Yes. And the guy's like, no, Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> actually. Yeah. That was pretty good. That was a pretty good little line where he's like, no, Phoenix. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> and then they go on. <laughs> that, was, that was a good line. And then they go, to, they go on like, 
do you even know what's happening over here? There's vampires everywhere. He's like, look, read this. He's like, I don't like horror movie comics. I was like, that's probably why we don't like the same character. You fucking dick. You don't like no horror movie comics? <laughs> well, does he say, mm. do they say vampires at this point? Or does he just give him the comic that says vampires everywhere? Oh, no. He gives him the comic that says vampires everywhere. And he's all like, look at this. This right here will save your life. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and then uh, this is when we get a uh, star. Um, she now goes to the, um, the vamp gang and she jumps on their motorcycle and then the vamp gang leader smiles at David. No, no, the David, the vamp leader smiles at Michael. And then this is when, um, Sam comes up to Michael after he left the comic book store and, uh, he, he's like, ah, oh, she stiffed you, didn't she? <laughs> Uh, I, I always thought she was really cool. Like I really liked uh, Jamie Gertz. I always thought she was beautiful, and like the way the way her costume looked as, as Star. Like she, it was like a like her little hippie dresses and stuff. I always thought that was really cool. Looking. Yeah, she was a good character. I liked her. So this is when we get a random scene of a couples trying to make out, and I don't know if you noticed this, but like the guy in this scene, he looked like he looked like uh, how he looks like Disco Inferno now. Oh really? He looked exactly like Disco Inferno. I thought that was pretty funny. And then they take they uh, the the vampires rip up the car and they grab them both and they get their snacks. Mm-hmm. This is when we get the grandpa showing Sam how to drive his car and he barely moves it. He says, "Oh, we're downtown now. We, this is how we go downtown." So we well, get, yeah, yeah, yeah. He asks him if he wants to go to town. Yeah. And then he starts the car and warms it up and then turns it off and says, I th- "He says, I thought we were going." In the town, he's like, "This is close to town as I like to get." Yeah. <laughs> so we're back at the comic book store. Um, this is when they're talking a little bit more about the vampires, and this, you know, this is when Sam's like, "I don't read, you know, horror movies, and you have to, like, you know, like basically they're saying like this town is run by vampires, and there's some evil stuff around here. And listen, take this comic book, and if you ever have trouble, call the number on this comic book, and we'll see what we can do for you." So these kids are kind of like, you know, I think they respect the Sam a little bit because he knew stuff about the comic books. And then basically the frog gang is, they know what's happening in Santa Clara. They know that the vampires are running wild and they are like a group to stop them. But it's like a, it's like, you know, it's like a, it's like a kid uh, club, you know, basically. Well, they're just brothers, right? Yeah. And the other movies, do they explain? Do, is there more of them? Like, I haven't seen the other movies, but well, like in this movie, a, they're just portrayed as Edgar and Alan Frog, the Frog. Yeah, brothers. so in the, the sequels, that uh, doesn't really have anything to do with this movie. Um, they are actually, like, obviously, they're grown up, and then they are actually, like, kind of like the, uh, they're basically like the vampire hunters. They're like the hell, they're like what the, uh, what they called the, um, hell's, God, what's the guy's name again? Uh, the Vampire Hunter, the famous one. Van Helsing. Uh, Van Helsing? Yeah, Van yeah. Helsing. They're basically the Helsing brothers. You know what I mean? Like, they're they're like those, those kind of characters. They're like the Vampire Hunter characters. So, just not as cool. Okay. Well, I mean, they were actually... No, the, these kids were actually not too bad. I, You know, for I'm not the biggest fan of, like, kids, you know, doing their things in movies. I think sometimes it can be a little annoying. But I thought the Frog Brothers were actually pretty good duo in the movie. Yes, I, I think so. I think if you see this movie as a teenager, though, 
it probably hits you better. Like you didn't yeah. see this movie till you were until you were like an adult. Mm-hmm. So I saw this movie as a teenager, and to me, like that was like it, I could resonate more with them than than you probably could watching it, you know, yes. in your twenties or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. The fair is still going on. This uh, this no part no sleep in this town. We just keep going and going. Yeah, it's twenty four hours a day fair. Yes. So now, uh, Mike, he's walking around the fair, and he's looking like he want to get his ear pierced, you know, to fit in. <laughs> <laughs> I think this scene is so funny. And then the girl comes up. She's like, she's like, they're they're a scam. They won't they won't do it right. I'll pierce your ear. I was like, oh okay. The scam. <laughs> and then he's, and he's all like, "What's your name? My name's Star." And he was all like, "I was like like a real name." And then he goes like, "Yeah." And then he was trying to be all cool. He's like, "Yeah, I was supposed to be called like." Moon, moonbeam, moon, be- moon child, moonbeam, or something like that. I was like, "No, you weren't, you little dick." <laughs> <laughs> so they start to flirt a little bit, and then eventually, he's like, "Hey, grab, get on my motorcycle, and we'll grab some food." And this is the one the vamp gang shows up with David. David stares at Star. He goes, "Star, where are you going?" And then Star's like, "I'm just gonna go out and hang out with him." He's like, "Star," and then she eventually gets back on the motorcycle, and he's he. He kind of like smiles a little bit, and then he goes like, um, he goes, um, hey, he's like, hey, you know, Michael's like, hey, what's up? He's like, hey, go meet us at this uh, part of the uh, the border, and he, Michael's like, well, I, I ain't gonna catch up with you guys in his bike. He's like, you don't have to catch up with us. You just got to uh, not not fall behind. So this is when we get that really cool motorcycle scene. All right. And yeah, with well, the yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Where he says, "You don't have to, you know, he's like, "I can't beat you with this bike." And yeah. he's like he's like, "You don't have to beat us, Michael. You just have to catch up, keep up." Yeah, you just got to keep up. Yeah. Basically, yeah. you just can't fall behind. You got to keep keep up. So right. the motorcycle scene is cool. I actually like really like the scene. Like this is like badass music going on. They're all having fun, partying freestyle out there just have I, this actually looks really fun i would definitely like to do this motorcycle on yeah. the beach and everything they even had that cool scene where they're fucking doing the motorcycles behind like the light the fog kind of like how we saw off demons oh yeah that was really going cool. to riding through the fog that yeah was awesome i thought that was cool stuff so this is also too now we see a scene with michael and david they're racing side by side at each other and you know i like this Michael guy, you know, when you when you say like fitting in peer pressure, he is like number one. Okay. This guy, like, he's just trying to like fit in and do his all stuff. He's racing this David guy, and eventually he slides off. And he noticed like that before he slides off, he, he might have went over the cliff. And then he gets all pissed off. He's like, what the fuck? He's like punches David and stuff. It's like he's just like, you and me, just you and me. All right. And then David's like, How far will you go, Michael? So now they go to the vampire lair. And this is when we have the whole history of the vampire lair. It was 1906 resort. It was placed here to be some sort of huge resort. And of course it fell during that whole earthquake that happened around that time. And then we all, the, 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 the most noticeable thing I saw in this place was that huge John, um, John Morrison poster. Jim Morrison poster? Jim Mor- yeah, I don't know why I put John. My yeah. dad. Jim John Morrison poster. <laughs> Not John, Jim Morrison yeah. poster, brother. Uh, then the, I think one of the vampires gives him weed. And then <laughs> and then this is when we have Sam. He's reading the vampire weed. comic book. Yes. <laughs> he's 
Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, and then they're hanging out. Right. I got you. Yeah. And then of course I'm following you. Yeah, and then you know, this is when we get the scene of Sam and his mom. Sam's reading the vampire comic book to kind of get some more, you know, fitting with his kids that he that he met. And then the mom is now talking about the closet monster of why she didn't like the dad. And then the grandpa comes in and gives him a stuffed dead rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I think this is amazing. <laughs> this is <laughs> Or he keeps giving him these stuff, these dead stuffed animals through the yes. whole movie. <laughs> and then but, when uh, I don't know, they're all cool though. Yeah, is cool. Yeah, all the taxidermy is cool stuff. So, like, uh, this is when we get the famous scene of Lost Boys: the feeding time. They have Chinese food, and this is when David gives him. Uh, he has this creative line. Uh, Michael doesn't want to eat the rice, and David's like, "You don't like rice? How can a billion Chinese people be wrong?" I thought that was cool. I yeah. love that. How can a billion Chinese people be wrong? Huh. Well, fuck, I'll eat the rice, I guess. And then, and then he eats it, and he's like, why are you eating maggots? He's like, what? Why are you eating maggots? And he looks at him, and there's maggots, and he starts spitting them all out. And then when he notices it, it's just regular rice. And then everybody starts laughing. And then this is when they do the whole noodles thing. And at first, he's all like, he's like, I'm just eating noodles. And he looks at it like worms. And he starts eating it. And then Mike is grossed out. And then he looks. It's just noodles again. So he sees that something mm. weird's going on over here. Yes. But he doesn't leave. Yes. Yeah. He, he... <laughs> so right, we also have. He hangs out with these people. Yeah. And then during this, we also have another poster. Have you ever heard this movie, uh, uh, Monsters Go Home? Um, isn't it a Monsters movie? It might be. There was just a um, random poster in the background. That was kind of interesting. Uh, I didn't notice that, but there's, uh, I'm pretty sure there's like a, a Munsters movie called that where they go, like, you know, the TV show, The Munsters? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they made a movie that's in color um, that where they go and uh, Herman, Herman Munster, I believe it's called that. Herman Munster um, inherits a castle in England. Nice. So the whole Munster clan, uh, packs up and they move to England for a little while. Um, and then hilarity ensues, um, as you would expect. That's probably but, where it um, came I'm, from. Uh, that probably came from that. Yeah. I'd have to go back and look at it again. So now they all drink the blood from the bottle. That's very freaking huge bottles all decked out in gold. Yes. And they tell Michael to drink it. And then they chant his name, Michael, Michael star says, don't drink it. It's blood. And Michael's it's like, blood. She- yeah, sure. Because he's, he's already been played before with the rice and the noodles, so now he's always getting played with the blood. I mean, what do you think it was? Right. Cranberry juice? <laughs> so I find this scene, well, I mean, I guess what with what he just went through, like with them mind controlling him or whatever to make him think it was noodles or whatever. Um, actually, now I think about it, it makes more sense. But I was like, I mean, there's a blood has a very distinct taste. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no way that you could drink blood and not know what it was. Maybe or or think it's something that you wanted to drink. Maybe they mixed it with something. <laughs> Maybe they mixed it with something. But like you can you can tell the time period this comes from because like now you would never take a drink handed to you open from somebody you didn't know. Nah. Well, you know what I mean. Like that wouldn't you would never. We still have peer now. pressure nowadays too, so you never know. Well, that's true, I guess. So this is when we start seeing the transformation from Michael, and he has a really cool. Uh, shot of like his face and then Jim Morrison's face kind of like blending together. And then um, this is when they do the whole famous bridge scene. 
So they're by the bridge. They're, Michael doesn't really know what's going on. He's like, what are we doing? And David's like, oh, yeah, what are we doing? Hey, Marco, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like, kind of like just playing around. And then they eventually all just jump off the bridge. And then Michael looks down. They're all hanging. He's like, come join us, Michael. Do it, Michael. Like, more peer pressure. More peer pressure. And eventually Michael does it. We have a train that comes by. And eventually they all drop one by one. And of course, you know, this is when David's like, you know, you're one of us now. You know, you don't have to worry about it. Just fall from the bridge. You're one of us. Come with us. And then he drops and he's fallen. And then he eventually falls and he wakes up in his bed. Right. So it could have been a dream. Yes. So question. At this point, <clears throat> um, I can't remember back this far. Um, and you probably already knew this when you watched it. So, but is there anything in the story so far that we know for sure that these people are vampires? Um, let's see. Star tells him that she, he's drinking blood, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're vampires. So I'm trying to figure out, like, well, is, it's, has the story told us that they're vampires yet? Yes and no. So it hasn't gone out saying, like, the crew is not saying, yes, we are vampires. But it's highly, it's highly, like, hinted at with the froggy kids talking about vampires in the town. You know, we see these kids, you know, doing mind tricks on Michael. We see them drinking blood. We see them being nocturnal. Uh, we see them uh, in, falling off bridges and being okay. So it's very hinted at, but it's not actually told like, hey, we are all vampires. Turn into a right. vampire. We are turning you into a vampire. It's just very hinted at this time. Okay. All right. So, this is what Michael's home. He's in his bed. He looks like he's hungover. And then Sam comes in. It's like, you know, what the hell, man? You're sleeping all day. Mom's on the phone for you. Uh, Mom says, listen, I got a dinner date with this Max guy. All right? I need you to babysit your brother. All right? And then I love this line. He's like, you've been sleeping all day and partying all night. I was like, yeah, buddy. Rock and roll. She's like, um, you need to babysit your brother. Um, and then he's like, oh, he could babysit himself. He's like, no, I need you to do this. And I'm finally going out for once. You know, it's been a while. So I need you to do this. Uh, this is also too, when grandpa, he needs something for aftershave. So he uses Windex. <laughs> 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 and then, so grandpa's plan <clears throat> is to go to drop off something special for the widow Johnson. All right. And apparently Michael said some sort of line. About like, did you make him make make her a widow or something like that? And then they all like look at him and weird. And basically, Michael now has an attitude problem because when you drink blood from these vampires, you grow an attitude, brother. Yeah. Uh -huh. So <clears throat> now we are at um. So yeah, we're at the. Uh, hold on a second. Oh yeah, so. <clears throat> So while this is all happening after the grandpa leaves and everything, um, we see we hear a bunch of choppers, like motorcycles, going all around the house and everything. So the vamp game has showed up, and they keep calling Michael. Michael, he opens the door, but then they all leave. So they're all, like, teasing him right now. And this is when um, Michael tells Sam to go take a bath. So Michael's stomach starts to hurt. Right when he's going to go get some milk, he drops it on the floor. So he's basically slowly turning into a vampire. Um, Sam takes his bath. Uh, Michael's walking up the, the door very slow. Eventually, the dog that they have 
um, it gets a little angry. And then when Michael opens the door, the dog attacks Michael and jumps on him. Sam gets all confused. He comes downstairs, looks at Michael, sees a, sees a little bite on his hand, says the dog just bit me for no reason because he's trying to protect you. And then eventually, um, Michael I mean, Sam sees Michael's reflection in the mirror. And you can kind of see that he's half there, half not. He's basically like a little shadow. And then Sam freaks out like, oh, shit, my brother's a vampire. My brother's a dirty sucking vampire. How dare this stuff? <laughs> and he runs up to the room. <laughs> and he locks so, the yeah, door. So- yeah, this is the first. So this is the first time we realize that the 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 va- the group the gang is a vampire yes. group. They're, yes, they're vampires for sure. And they're, t- and and they're they basically yeah, they basically turned him into a, a vampire with peer pressure and a woman. Sounds that, about right. Well, yeah, that's that's how it works. Yes. So you know, Michael he doesn't know what's going on. Now. He's trying to knock on the door and stuff to get to um get to Sam, and Sam's like freaking out right now. So he's calling up um everybody. So this is also too when Michael he's all laying down, and then eventually he like crawls up to the ceiling. Um, so Sam calls up the vampire crew, the frogs, and they're asking him questions like, "Okay, has he been sleeping all day? Yes. <laughs> all right. ha- does he have bad breath? Well, he already has bad breath. Does he have long fingernails? Yes. It's like, okay, kid, you better get yourself a garlic T-shirt if you want to survive the night, and we have to drive a stake through his heart." Well, yeah, and that, that's the scene where they said, "Okay, this is what you do. Yeah, you take, you t- you get a wooden, a long wooden stake, and you drive it straight through his heart." Yeah, <laughs> and and Sam's like, "I can't do that. He's my brother." And then Edgar's like, "Okay, we'll come over and do it for you." Yeah, we'll come over here for you. This is the most matter of fact thing yeah. in the world. <laughs> and then this is when Michael wakes up on the ceiling, and then Sam gets a, a call from his mom. He starts freaking out because he sees. Um, Michael flying off, and he's like, "Mom, I need your help. Is something bad's happening? I there's something that Sam's doing that I can't talk to you over the phone. I need you to hear." And he's basically freaking out because he sees him through the window now. And eventually, the mom was supposed to go on that date with Max, but then she just leaves the restaurant quick and gets out of there. And Max kind of sees her run off as well too. Um, eventually, Michael is pleading with Sam to let him inside the window. Sam doesn't want to do it, but he eventually does. And then he eventually comes in there and he's calling him down. He's like, like, hey, I don't know what's going on with me, but I'll fix all this. Just don't tell mom at all. And I like Sam's line is like, don't tell mom. It's not like we're hiding you from getting a D. (laughs) 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 He's like, just please don't tell her. And eventually the mom comes home. And then Max is saying, like, hey, I'm sorry about that. I just wrote a I just read a very scary comic book. She's like, this is just about a comic book? He's like, yeah, I just got very scared with the comic book. She's like, well, where's Michael? He's like, well, Michael's he, he's, he's sleeping right now and stuff. He's like, well, I'm just very upset with you. I'm upset with you both. You've both been acting really crazy lately. You know, I'm trying to go out here and have some fun and get get laid, and you fucking kids just want to be crazy. Right. And, and she keeps trying to go on a on a date with Max. Yes. And then during the video store. Yeah. And then eventually, this is when Michael, he sneaks out. Um, it's because he wants to figure out what's going on with himself. And then this is when we have Sam. He wants to go sleep in the mom's room because he's scared. And she's like, did you eat pizza today? And then this is when we see he has a garlic all around his his shirt. (laughs) (laughs) So this is when we have Max. He's down walking down kind of like a, uh, like a little alley in a way, like a little like forest alley, I guess the way to get back to his house. And then we hear this dog 
uh, acted up very creepy, and then some sort of kite falls on him. Some sort of vampire kite falls on Max. On on Max? Yeah. There's a vampire kite that landed on him. Uh, the guy that runs a video store? Yeah. Okay. Yes. It's, it basically is I don't remember this scene at all. <laughs> it's foreshadowing okay. something. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. All right. So the vamp uh, gang arrives now. All right. They are and they they kind of like arrive um like so the vamp gang was like where where Max was. You know what I mean? So like when Max had that kite fall on the vamp gang's there. So you think like the vampires are going to attack Max. Okay? So this is when Michael goes looking for the all the vamp gang and he finally sees um Star, he runs into Star. All right, and then he's like, you know, what's happening to me, Star? And eventually, her, him, and Star just start kissing. They start fucking making out, and they fucking get it done, brother. And they get it, they get it, they get it going. Yeah. And then they fucking have some sky shots and shit. This is when the vent gang they they return home. All right. And this one, Michael, he wakes up, and he looks at his hand that got bitten by the dog. It cleared up. And then later, then we get a different scene. Mike runs into his mom. And then him and mom are going back and forth. But like, the mom's like, hey, are we friends still? Mike's like, yes, we're friends. But he's being like, he's basically being like a like a bratty teenager, you know? So the mom thinks it's just some girl and stuff. And Mike is like, no, it's not just a girl. I'm going through a lot of stuff right now. And the mom's like, I could help you out with all this stuff. So we get like a little tension there. So the mom just thinks it's like him you know, meeting these kids and the whole new neighborhood and some maybe some girl. And Mike is basically saying, like, no, I'm turning into a vampire. Yes. So yeah. this is... I, a, how okay. do you deal with that? Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say, he had a fun way to deal with being, becoming a vampire. Yes. So the grandpa looks at him. He says, oh, it looks like I wasn't the only one I got lucky last night. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Sam's like, did you take care of everything? All right. And then this is when uh, now so Michael didn't say anything; he just went upstairs. And then now the the mom is now bringing a present to Max, um, you know. And she 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 said like you know this is I'm bringing a present to him, and it should be you, Sam, bringing the present to him for last night. And then um, she sees a dog Thorn. The Thorn dog freaks out. And while this is happening, um, Sam is reading the Hounds of Hell comic book from Vampires Everywhere. And this is when the, the mom gets attacked by the dog. And then Sam talks to the frog crew on a different scene in the comic book store saying, like, my mom got attacked at the same time I was reading that Hounds from Hell. You know, I, I was reading this book and it says, like, when the vampires sleep during the day, they have a protector, like a dog, to protect them from any, any kind of intruders. And then they're thinking, they're like, thinking, like, okay, well, since your brother is turning into a vampire, you know, the way to kill all the vampires is if you kill the head vampire. Like, if you kill the head vampire, everybody will turn back to normal. But we don't know who the well, head... Well, if you're a half vampire. Yeah, if you're a half vampire, yes. Yeah, so, so Star and Michael will turn back to normal. Yes. Because Star, Michael, and then the little kid, they haven't done their first kill yet. So in order to fully transform into a vampire, you have to have your first victim. You have to have your first kill. But they haven't right, done that right. yet. So the plan now is for Sam to bring over the crew when Max comes to visit because they think Max is the head vampire. Uh, so this is when Michael is zipping up now 
mom mom wants Michael to meet Max. Michael meets Max in the in the in the doorway because Max is coming over for dinner. Uh, Max asks if he could invite himself in, and and Michael's like, "Sure, you can come in." And this is when uh, Max starts flirting with Lucy, and he apologizes for uh, she apologizes for last night. And this is when we get uh, Sam introducing the Frog Brothers, Edgar and Alan, to everybody, and they all eat. Uh, they first hear about a scene with bad breath. They think it's Max, but it's just the dog. Yeah, and they all just look at him. <laughs> yes. Then they all, then they all like, yeah, they all look, and then they all like, uh, they act like it's Parmesan cheese, but it's garlic, and uh, Max eats eats too much garlic, and he says he likes garlic, and they're like, oh shit, he likes garlic, okay, and then they eventually pour water on him, and then they make him see himself in the mirror, and basically all these uh, ways you can test to see if he's a vampire, Max is uh, is you know doing them. He's not a vampire. He's like showing that he's not. Yep. Um, and then eventually Max is like, okay, I know what's going on over here. And they're like, oh, shit, he does? He's like, yes, you are sad, Sam, because you think I'm trying to replace your father. I'm not. I'm just trying to be your friend. And then he leaves, and then eventually Max is like, yeah, it's, these kids need a little bit more of a father figure in their life. And he's going on about like, hey, let's try this again. How about you have dinner at my place? And the mom agrees. So Michael meets with the vamp gang and he is looking for star he's like where's star at and david's like you won't see star again unless you come with me so now the vent gang are now hanging on some trees while aerosmith is playing <laughs> uh-huh. and then they're all like looking at these kids like like mot or like fucking jumping around a bonfire like going crazy with this aerosmith song and this is like basically what the vamp gang is showing is like, hey, this is time to join the club, Michael. And they're all turning into vampires now and they're about to feast. And they're all like attacking these kids and biting them and feasting them. And then Michael is basically trying not to feast. He's like holding back the urge to join with the feast. Because, you know, if he does, then he'll fully turn into a vampire. Yes. And then, let's see, and then eventually after this, when uh, the, the vamp guys are done, and Michael's kind of like fired us so long that he fell off the tree, David's like, he's like, it's like time to join the club, Michael. He's like, this is what I gave you. You can never grow old. You can never die. But you must feed. But you must feed. Yes. Um, and then this is when Sam, he's now... Uh, so this is after after the let's see Michael shows back up to the house and he tells Sam like I know what I am now. Sam says like Hey man I can help I got some people that could probably help us. Um, and this is when Star shows up and she's kind of like at the bottom of the house. Yeah, this seems funny. Yeah, and then like um, and then like you know they're like saying like Hey you know, uh, she eventually like comes up to the room. And Star's trying to apologize, and then this is when we get the whole kind of like the plot from the whole movie, where it's basically it's telling instead like you know, hey, I, I lured you there with them, you know, I liked you and stuff, but I lured you there, kind. Of, David made me made me lure you over there. Um, you were supposed to be my first, my first kill, but I I couldn't do it. I refused and stuff. And then Michael, yeah, she, go ahead. 
she says, she says this happened. She's like, she's kind of apologized to him and says, this happened because I liked you. Yeah. Um, and then she refused to, she refused to kill him or bite him or whatever. Or yeah. That, that this part of the plot doesn't really make sense because, because uh, she supposedly she was supposed to kill him and that would be to make her a full vampire. Yeah. But when they invite him over, it looks like they're trying to turn him into a vampire, which in the lore of this movie are two completely different things. Because in this movie, you don't become a vampire by being bit by another vampire. You become a vampire by drinking a vampire's blood and then killing somebody. Yeah. One second. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically, this movie is a little bit done different. You know, we were talking yeah. about some of the different, you know, style of vampire movies. So this this particular vampire movie is if you drink the supposedly David's blood, that's how you transform into a vampire, but you don't fully transform until you take your own victim. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's how it is a Dracula too, though. Oh, okay. In the book, in the book, yes. Um, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that he does bite like the characters, like Lucy. Yes, and he bites Lucy in the Dracula story, but he's only he's only feeding on her. Like she becomes a she starts to become a vampire because she drinks Dracula's blood. Yeah, which is sort of similar. So this is you know after they went out the whole thing and then Star leaves, um, the Frog Gang arrives in the morning time. Um, this is where they decide they're going to kill the vampires, right? Yeah, and that David is the head vampire. Yeah, yeah, they, they yeah they kind of decided like you know we're gonna bring this group group and we're gonna go to the caves when they're sleeping and we're gonna kill the head vampire so they can turn back to normal. Uh, Which makes you wonder at this point in the movie why they haven't done this already. Yeah, well, I mean, we will find out. <laughs> well, no, no, because <laughs> the re- the reason is the frog gang didn't know where the vampire lair was. So Michael knows where the vampire's lair, are, lair, lair is, so now he can bring the whole crew over there to stop it. All right? And because well, a thing also, too, was the frog gang, you know, at first the frog guy was trying to tell, well, Sam was trying to tell his mom, like, hey, we need some help. Like, we got vampires around this place. And the mom was pretty much, like, kind of blew him off, saying, like, hey, you're only acting like this because you don't like Max. So she was taking it all out of the context and stuff. So basically, it's now up to the frog gang to take out these vampires to get them get them going. Well, yeah. Plus, the frog brothers are kind of incompetent, but yeah, we'll find that we'll out. Find, in a yeah. Minute. So we get to the cave. <laughs> all right. Michael wants Sam to stay out of the cave. All right. Uh, Edgar says, you know, hey, if, if if your brother turns into does any kind of vent business, I'm taking him out. <laughs> <laughs> And eventually, Edgar, he's, try, he's trying to go out to fucking uh, Star first, but Michael's like, stay away from her. And he's like, all right, wait, whatever. So they, the kids, they kind of go into different parts of the, the into the, to, to the cave. And then uh, Michael says, like, hey, I'm going to take you out of here. She's like, go get the kid first. And, you know, this kid, um, it was one of the kids that was missing. He was also on a milk carton, too. So we saw him there. Uh, so Michael's getting out the kid, and then she's getting out Star. And then during all this stuff, we got the the frog and the sand. They're all like going to the lair, and they eventually they see the vampires sitting up, and they're kind of like sleeping like bats. Yeah, they're hanging from the ceiling, yeah, right? Yeah, because they're they, they were trying to look for coffins, but then they realize, oh wait, this whole place is a coffin. 
Yeah, so. that's what Edgar says, right? This, this, yeah. He's like, I thought they're supposed to be in coffins. And like, mm-hmm. this whole, this, that's what this cave is. It's one big coffin. Yes. So at first they're like, okay, which one's the main vamp? She's like, I don't know. We'll just kill them all. So they eventually climb up. Um, they take a, a wooden, um, you know, spike. And eventually mm-hmm. Edgar, he stabs fucking Marco. So he's the first vampire that got stabbed. And of course, all the other vampires wake up, especially David. They're all pissed now. And they fucking start like... And J- David starts jumping out and starting to catch the kids. But eventually the kids get into the sunlight where David's hands burns. And then they get away. And then he looks at his hands burning. He's just like, wait till tonight. So now these vampires are pissed and they're out to get this kid because they killed one of their one of their brothers. Right. But when they're escaping, though... So we forgot to mention that they're driving there in the grandfather's car. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then they uh, they load up uh, everybody in the car, the kid and Star, and then Michael, and then Edgar's like, then they're being chased, and then Edgar Edgar says he's like, I don't ride with vampires. Yeah, and then Sam's like, okay, we'll stay here then, and he's like, okay, we do now, and then they all get in the car and take <laughs> yeah. off. <laughs> yep, and they all get back to the uh, to the house, the grandpa's house, and they kind of like do some regrouping from here. Oh, and then the other funny thing too is like when they're driving away, he's like, "Sam's like, I thought you guys knew what to do. We were gonna kill the vampires." And he's like, yeah. and "Edgar's like, he's like, they pulled a mind scramble on us. They opened their eyes and talked." Yeah. <laughs> so this is when yeah. we realize that the Frog Brothers really are kind of incompetent. Don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, and they get up there and like they're kind of talking about Plan B, like what's going to be the Plan B. And they said we only have two Wait. hours until sunlight. Once that happens, they're going to come for us. Uh-huh. So plan A failed. We need plan B. What's plan B? Yeah. We don't have a plan B. <laughs> we yeah. have two hours to think of it. Yeah. We have two hours to do this, brother. Um, and then this is like when I, like they're kind of like figuring out what to do. Um, this is when we actually get Sam telling his mom like about the uh, Santa Claire, you know, v- vampire issue. Mom thinks it's all about Max and stuff. So she's not going to get any help from the mom. So for, and then like it was weird too because like when Sam comes out, she's like, yeah, she's not going to help us. I was like, good, we're on our own. That's the way I wanted it anyway. Well, then why the yep. fuck did you ask for our help then? <laughs> <laughs> the way we like it. Yeah, and then they go into the church. They just like randomly walk in there, and then they, all everybody's staring at them, and they just grab holy water, and they leave, and everybody just goes back to their business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just go in the middle of this church yeah. sermon and fill their canteens full of holy water. And then Sam goes to the grandpa while he's doing his taxidermy. He's like, hey, uh, grandpa, uh, that uh, widow Johnson called. She said she wants you to be there at 7, not 8. He's like, oh, I didn't know I was meeting her today. She's like, yeah. I was like, all right. I'll be on my way then. I better get ready. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, when the grandpa, when uh, Max is over um, at the house originally, the grandpa was staring at Max a little weird. That's a little hint, by the way. Yes. Uh, so this is when they're preparing the house like Home Alone. They're fucking. They made a bathtub full of garlic. Um, they have the holy water uh, super soakers. Um, so they're ready to fight these vampires. And then Michael's like, "Hey, they're they're gonna come for us all. All these, they're they're basically gonna come here right when they wake up at at, at uh, when the lights go down. So the lights go down now. The vampires wake up, and then um. Max and, and, and then Lucy, they're actually eating dinner right now. And uh, Lucy's very jumpy because she's kind of worried about the story that, that Sam was telling her about vampires and stuff. And she was about to go tell Max. And Max's like, oh, I can handle any kind of weird stories. Trust me. So Edgar tells um, 
So th this is when Edgar kind of explains to the crew that vampires die differently. They die different ways. You have some that die fine. You have some that get knocked out. You get some that like uh, try to grab you and stuff. They all die different ways. But they all try to get you at the end. Okay, so while he's explaining everything, they hear the dog barking. They hear Sam's dog barking out there. And then Sam's like, oh shit, my dog's out there. So he goes running for the dog. And eventually Michael follows behind him. And then during this time, the vamp crew is about to go attack him, but they eventually get back inside. And then we have the main one coming from the um, chimney and a couple one attacking in the house now. So they start attacking everybody. They're flying around everywhere. And then eventually the, uh, the frog kids go upstairs. Um, they talk about, you know, uh, they, they go upstairs and, and then one of them, the vampires, eventually looks over. It's the one who looks like Twisted Sister. That's what Edgar said. And then he, they, they, the, the vampire guy gets the super soaker, gets the thing out of their way. He's about to attack him. But then they trick him and they kind of like, they, t they tell him to like get the, uh, they're in, the, ba they're in the, the, the bathroom and there's the, the tub full of garlic water. And at first that vampire's like, garlic doesn't work. And then they grabbed it and they throw him at him and it did work. So it burns his face a little bit. And then the dog jumps on the twisted sister vampire and he eventually melts into the garlic bathtub. Mm, and yes. then, and then the frog people are like, "Fuck yeah, we did a great job." They're all get, they're all like talking about how great they are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then while they're talking about how great they are, that's when the kid is like transforming a lot into a vampire now, and they're about to go kill the kid, but Star stops them and tells them to hold on. So this is also too when we have you know David, he's fighting with the uh, Michael and some of these vampires around there. Um. This is also too when we have the scene of the one of the vampires that are attacking and eventually gets um, pushed and, and stabbed um, by Sam onto the uh, radio, like the big juke, the whole like radio setup. He gets like a slingshot, stereo, first, yeah, yeah, stereo, yeah. So he gets he gets the super soaker with the garlic in his face, and then he gets a bow and arrow. First he misses, but then he he doesn't miss the other one, and then the vampire eventually blows up, and then Sam says. Death by stereo. By stereo. Yeah. <laughs> and what this an is, annoying asshole. Yeah, I know. And this is when the main vampire, David's attacking. Eventually kind of knocks Sam out a little bit. And then he's going after um, Michael. And, um, and it may, you know, basically the whole time is like, David's like, I want you to join you. You have my blood running through your veins right now. And the whole thing is like, they're basically on. So Michael's kind of formed kind of like how the kid is into like a very vampire state and they're up on, on the air fighting on the air and they're both trying to impale each other back and forth and then david's like you know i want you to join me you have my blood in your veins and stuff and then eventually michael's like well I also got my blood in my veins and then he turns the tide and he stabs david through some horns and there goes fucking david yeah the baby face turn the baby face turn brother um and then eventually you know, he calms down. Sam comes downstairs. Star's there. And then Michael's like, hey, I don't want these kids to see me like this. And Sam's comes in there with the frog kids. And they're like, hey, you know what's going on? Like, we, we killed him. David, you should be okay. He's like, no, nothing has changed. He wasn't the main vampire. You know, I'm still like I am. And they're just trying to figure out, like, you know, what, you know, what can we do different? And then this is eventually when the mom and Max show up. All right. Um... Sam and uh, the frog kids eventually try to tell the mom what's happening. 
Max comes over to David, kind of looks like him a little bit, touches his face. And then Max eventually goes up to him. It's like, uh, it's like, I got to admit, this is probably all my fault. And he, <laughs> then he just goes on. Then we have a turn. And he's basically so saying, swerve, like, brother. Swerve, brother. We got Max as the head vampire. He says, all I wanted was you, Lucy. You know, I just thought, like, what we could do is we can mix, you know, my boys with your boys and have one big giant family. You know, that's why I came to, that's why we wanted to seduce Michael, because I knew if I get Michael and Sam on my side, then you would come to my side, no problem. And then eventually they're like, you know, what the hell's going on over here? And then eventually Michael tries to attack Max, but Max is too powerful. He throws Michael up on the ceiling. He eventually grabs uh, Lucy, he's about to bite her, Dracula style. And then we hear a horn. A uh, little yeah. beeping horn. It's the grandpa. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it's playing yeah. like cucaracha. Yeah. He comes driving <laughs> in to his fucking... Throws right... You know, right... Drives into his living room. Has a bunch of spikes on his freaking car that we saw earlier. Spike goes through Max. Destroys his ass. Uh, fucking... Uh, then basically after that, like once, once the main vampire Max got destroyed by the huge spike that went through his heart... Uh, we noticed that Michael and Star, they have returned back to normal. Plus, the little kid from earlier has turned back to normal as well. And <laughs> we see, like, Lucy and then Michael and all of them kind of, like, looking at the, the grandpa a little weird. Um, Edgar says, like, after he's done, he's like, how much do you think we should charge everybody for this? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that line was pretty good. <laughs> and then because uh, they yeah they didn't really do anything uh, to solve the problem but yeah yeah but now <laughs> they want to charge people because yeah. this is the only paying vampire gig they've ever had yeah and then Lucy and uh, Michael and Sam kind of like go up to Grandpa like Dad are you like okay like you know what's going on Grandpa grabs the soda and he's like one thing about Santa Cruz I couldn't stomach all these damn vampires and then it ends and then and it ends and that's how we get we get the Lost Boys everybody. We get the 1980 version of a vampire film. So, obviously, we both like this movie a lot. Yes. Um, have you, did you watch any of the deleted scenes? Um, no, I didn't get or Have you seen those. them before? So, it's kind of interesting because, so, through the whole movie, it's kind of, in the background, you can kind of tell that the, not we well, can't, you don't know this until the very end, really, but. It, it, but there's groundwork laid to where the grandfather knows what's going on. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. he's like, um, uh, you know, how he's talking about how he wants to stay away from town and all this kind of stuff. So he's kind of, you know, it makes it, he comes across as like somebody who just doesn't want to deal with people. But it's, but once you know what happens at the end, you realize that he knew about the vampires the whole time. Um, and then the spikes that kill Max were those fence posts that he were ma- was making in the yard earlier. In the movie like when he was putting up those fence posts yeah and they had the, the one in tops um but in the in the deleted scene so it goes out of the out of the way to make you think max is not the head vampire but he's the only character left in the movie so if it's not the grandfather then it has to be max um but there's a lot of deleted scenes that hint at him being the uh the head vampire that they that they cut out um like there's a lot of scenes where or like there's a scene where the vampire gang is um, kind of messing with Lucy on their motorcycles when she leaves work one day. And then Max drives up and they, they, they drive away on their motorcycles. Cause so it implies that they're kind of scared of him. Um, and then the scene where he tells him to leave the store, uh, which is actually in the movie. 
Um, and then there's a scene where um, he's talking to her about uh, being a mother at dinner. And he says, um, she says like, yeah, she's like my days of being a mother are soon going to be over. My, meaning that her kids are going to move out. And he's like, well, they don't have to be. So there's like all these scenes that they had in the movie originally that kind of implied that he was the head vampire, but they cut them all out, which I assume is just to keep that mystery going because you would have figured it out too soon if otherwise. Yeah, that makes sense. Do a little bit more hinting compared to like straight hinting. Exactly. Um, although, you know, it's like a, it's almost like a Scooby-Doo episode. He's the only character left, so he has to be the head vampire. But, yeah, but once you figure that out, they do give it to you pretty quick, though. You know, they're like, once, once they're sitting there and saying, well, he's, David's not the head vampire. It must be somebody else. He pretty much comes in and they're like, oh, shit, it's this guy. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts about it, about the movie in general? Well, I mean, the biggest thing, you know, the movie in general, just like, like I said before, like, I mean, just I thought the, the acting was great. The plot was great. The original concept was great. Um, I really liked the vamp gang. You know how they kind of portrayed like younger, rebellious rock and roll teens as like the like like the villains, and you know, but they had a cool factor to them as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Michael character showing a lot of like the peer pressure that can happen with a lot of younger people joining, you know, different gangs or joining different you know groups to kind of fit in, you know, and getting that 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 pressure by the kids and the girls too. You know, showing the uh, the fun the fun thing that they like to do in the '80s is always show like the kids in like a a very like adventurous um, group where they would you know we have like a comic book friend group or something like that, and they would always be like some of the main people who would get themselves they, they they would know what's going on before a lot of other people would know what's going going on. You know, we see that nowadays when we watch Stranger Things, or you know, we see that a lot in the Goonies and stuff where the kids are like were kind of like the the center of of the plot of where you know where things were eventually going to lead to. Um, but yeah, I, I thought the movie just yeah. had pretty much everything to it. So. Yeah. Well, Stranger Things is so influenced by 80s movies anyway. For sure. You know what I mean? Like, so I would say Stranger Things, the concept of that was kind of influenced by this sort of type of thing. But like, do you, I mean, like, but yeah, I mean, it really goes, to me, it goes back to a time that was kind of different because like, you know, when I was like a, like a, a kid, which, you know, I was a kid around when this came out and like kids like would go out and hang out somewhere away from home. (coughs) Sorry. Um, would go, you know, hang out like away from home. And I don't know if kids do that anymore. Um, I think cops shut stuff like that down now, but back then you, you know, like, like when they're going to hang out at the, at the railroad trestle where they jump off, like, you know, that was like probably a common thing back then um but yeah i mean i don't know i think that the movie's really cool like it's really it made vampires seem cool um this is the first movie like i was saying before that i can think of that would would be like oh i would like to be a vampire um and i i think that started this trend maybe interview with a vampire the book may have been i mean it was definitely before this but i don't know if that really i don't know if that really made vampires look very attractive as in that you would want to be one. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely, you know what I mean? And yeah, I could definitely like, see that. yeah, like, so like twilight, things like twilight probably would not have existed had it not been for lost boys making vampires seem cool. Yep. So we can blame it for that, I guess. Yeah. 
but you know the you know it just it is a different take i would say on vampires compared to what we yes. see even to we see nowadays like i mean n- nothing off the top of my head really comes through when we have like teenage you know rebellious vampires i'm pretty sure there's something out there that that does that but you know it just other than twilight i can't think of anything yeah else. oh i was gonna mention too speaking of twilight did you notice when they <laughs> killed marco vampire like his blood and then they went outside that they were all full of glitter yeah i was like oh shit like that's like the only like coordination between this movie and twilight was the fucking glittery vampire shit yeah because they're yeah because they're magical yeah which makes sense it's just that Twilight took that into like a like a different kind of a stupid stupid realm there, um, but yeah, I mean, like, there's no, I don't think there's any doubt that Twilight was super influenced by the Lost Boys. Yeah, nah, I guess nah. I mean, maybe a little bit, but yeah. I mean, I think that when whoever wrote Twilight, I think that she wouldn't have written Twilight had she not not seen the Lost Boys. I mean, that's that's just what I think. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. But yeah, everybody, great old episode, one of my favorite movies of all time, The Lost Boys. Fantastic. We have had an in-depth conversation about them, and join us here next week on The Retro Blood as we continue Universal Monster Month, and we, I have a couple ideas we can do. Actually, Allison, how about, how about we do this one? It was made in 1985. Transylvania six slash five thousand. Okay. Have you ever heard of that movie? I have. It's a comedy. Okay. Now is it like a because two tablet reporters are sent to Transylvania to find Frankenstein's monster or get fired. Yes. <laughs> so um, like how can we watch how can we watch that? I think it says it's on I think it's on Prime Video. Fair enough. We will watch Transylvania six five thousand for next week. Is that cool? Oh yeah. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Uh, you know, we could see it. You know, we, we've seen comedy movies before. This is actually a PG movie, so that should be very interesting. <laughs> mm, but, it's a kids uh, show. It's a kids version of our show. Yes, we're gonna do like a kid friendly version of our show next week yeah, on right. the Retro Blood, as we see. Oh, it actually has Jeff Goldblum in it. Yeah, I've never actually seen this movie. I never um, seen it either. But, I, but I'm but I'm familiar with it. So this will be this will be something I've never seen before. Yeah. So this should be very fun. Um, you know, they're on their porch to find Frankenstein. Of course, Frankenstein's one of the most classic universal monsters. And, you know, I was, I was either thinking about this movie or The Bride. But, you know, I wanted to have something with maybe like Frankenstein in it. So, you know, we'll give this one a try. Yeah, because yeah, I, thought, I thought about that too. The Bride is something I considered. But Frankenstein's not in that. And then we were going to think about doing uh, Frankenstein Island, which also doesn't have Frankenstein in it. Yes. So yeah, in 1980s Frankenstein movies are hard to find. Yeah, I would say so because the the thing with Frankenstein's Island too, it's basically was made in the 70s. It just got released in the 80s because it's about 81. I wanted to see something that's, that's a little bit more true. like later on in the in the timeline of the 80s. So this one was, should be pretty good. You know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how yeah. it goes, everybody. But join us here next week on the Retro Blood. And Allison, what should we leave everybody out with today? We gotta have a cool song. To leave us as we drive our motorcycles, we have our one earring, we we have our mullets going on, we're ready to party. What kind of party rock song can we play for everybody today? Well, um, let's do uh, one of the songs from the soundtrack. Um, let's do that um, Lost in the Shadows. 
the Lou Graham, the one where they're they're riding the bi- the motorcycles. Boom, let's do it, brother. Lost yeah. in the shadows, brother. This is Retro Blood. This is Jay Austin, James Klein. If you go out there, fucking go to a new town and shit. It might be the murder capital, whatever. Drive on your motorcycles, drink that blood, party all night, sleep all day. We'll see you later. Live forever. Live forever, brother. We'll see you later here on the Retro Blood. <laughs>